Hello, and welcome to The Last Ones In, where being late to the party isn't a bad thing. I am your host, Drya Archuleta, and today I am joined by... Robbie. Hello. E. Hello. Rocky from across the country. Hey. And my sister, Samantha Archuleta. Hi. And today, the film that we are going to be taking a look at is the seminal classic, The Princess Bride, a movie that everybody, honestly, I think, kind of needs to see. It has just a certain je ne sais quoi, I'll say, to it. It doesn't feel like a genre film, in my opinion. It feels like its own little encapsulated thing. But before we really start talking about the movie, I need to figure out how everyone's doing so I can feel better about my life. Robbie, what's going on? Oh, uh, you know, still unemployed. Um, I should be getting my first unemployment check, which is a weird thing to think about. It feels like I've been actually without a job longer than I actually have been at this point, but that's because I'm mostly just sitting at home watching a bunch of YouTube videos and playing games now, which is great, but it would be a lot less great if I was not stressing about money. Yeah, but I mean, in reality, it's only been like two weeks. Yeah, it has only been two weeks, but it, it, it felt like a lot more. <laughs> Which means you're getting a lot done. Right? Sure, buddy. Oh, cool, cool, great. <laughs> awesome. I mean, the most I've done is I've beaten a couple of games that have been in my backlog recently. Like, um, I actually have had that game Cry of Fear since it first came out as its own, like, standalone game. And I haven't beaten it until recently. And that game came out in 2012. Awesome. Yeah. So, you're and... doing well then. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> awesome. Anything else going on in your life? Not a whole lot. Uh, I feel like I'm doing more extracurricular activities now. Like, I'm cooking more, I'm cleaning more, I'm playing guitar more, catching up with my backlogs. It's not a bad thing, in my opinion. It's not bad, but like I said, it just it's different, considering, you know, I've been working since I was 15. This is the first time I've actually had to deal with things like unemployment. Let your soul return back to nature, Robbie. I mean, that would be possible if we didn't live in the city. The earth is healing. You're in the city? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump over to Sam. How are you doing? Not the best, but not the worst. Uh, work is terrible still. So uh-huh, I feel that. Other than work, I just cry and play video games. <laughs> Same. Have you gotten to uh, drinking in the shower yet? Because that's fun. <laughs> no, but I've heard, it. I've heard it's pretty good. Um, I do drink in the bath, though. though. I do takes a lot of baths. Yeah, it's great because if you <laughs> if you drink in the tub or in the shower and you make it really hot, then you get dehydrated quickly, and then you just put alcohol in your body, you get drunk really fast. I mean, what I heard out of that was that it must be nice to actually fit in a standard-sized tub. <laughs> you try sawing off your legs. <laughs> that would probably work, and since I'm unemployed, I technically could. You don't need legs. <laughs> Wait, why is employment stopping you from doing that? <laughs> I mean, I I did work a job where I walked around and like had to stand a lot, but you you're you're right, and I think you might be able to get disability checks too if you saw off your legs. <laughs> That's true. Unemployment for forever. It's a good thing Lowe's is open. I can go buy a hacksaw. There you go. Cool. Okay. Well, uh, Rocky, what's going on in your life? Uh, not too much, man. Samo, Samo. Unemployed, but hopefully that'll change here soon. Nothing about cutting off my legs. I like my legs. They're pretty fun. Um, that's it. Really just 
saying snooty things to whatever Robbie says, which has been really hard because I have to like listen to his conversations from other people and then be snooty and it just gets awkward because <laughs> I have to call Robbie and he doesn't know what the hell I'm talking about. So I'm like, I'm doing like this. And he's like, Rocky, talk like a fucking human being because nobody understands what you're saying. And that's pretty much my life. Wait, is that you that's been calling me every like weekend going, me, 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 me? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's it's all based on um Robbie. So the more Robbie does, the snootier I become. I'll be really salty if he hacks off his legs, because that'll be the most interesting story in town. And I really don't know how to be snooty about that without actually doing it myself. Can you imagine he hacks off his legs, gets disability, and then gets a greeter job at Walmart? It's like he's just getting one up on you on top of one up on you. Jesus Christ, see, I'd fucking hack my legs off, still be unemployed. Without the check. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I just kind of figured Rocky would just come to the Walmart that I was working at and, like, just do, like, the whole, Eh, look at you. You have no legs. Eh, it must suck, doesn't it? Me. Hey, can you get something for me off the top shelf? Oh, no, you can't. (laughs) And I can't either, because I'm a fucking idiot. And I <laughs> cool, cool, okay. E, what's Hi. up with you? Your life's been super busy, right? Yeah, uh, today I tried my first beer. Oh, oh, what, really? Oh, you're 21 now. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. I've been Happy 21 birthday. for a while. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I haven't seen you, so. Happy yeah. belated birthday, since, you know, we've had to be away for quarantine reasons. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I tried that beer. Uh, they that was the worst thing I've ever had to taste. Yeah, it doesn't taste good. They no. were absolutely dreadful. Like I was like, oh yeah, like coffee's bitter. So like I hear beer's bitter. It's probably gonna be like no. Mm-mm. I felt like I was drinking dark matter or something. <laughs> what like, beer were you drinking? I don't. It was it was a nitro, something. I don't know. That's what it was called. Yeah, you may. You may not want to start with something like that. You might yeah. want to go for a little something a little lighter. <laughs> No, well, my brother was like, oh, hey, E, try, just, like, try some of the foam off this. And what? I was like, all right. That's, like, and the worst I, part. <laughs> he, says, he says it's the best part. <laughs> so I, like, took a bit, and I immediately, like, like retched back, and I was like, Aah! and I couldn't get the taste out of my mouth for, like, half an hour. I mean, I think Did part- you, like, did you slap your tongue going, antimatter, and then... <laughs> <laughs> No, but I did tell him straight up, this is the worst thing I've ever tasted. He's like, E, you're being overdramatic. I was like, no, this is legit the worst thing I've ever tasted. But in not alcohol-related news, uh, busy work getting the game finished. We're, we're real close. I'm done making new art, and that's something I just didn't feel like I'd actually be able to say. <laughs> I felt like this game was going to release, and somehow I'd still be making art for it. But I don't have to make new art, and it's amazing. Until the DLC. Yeah, we might. I don't know. <laughs> to the DLC and like all the different costume packs that you can buy for it, you're gonna have to do art for all of those. Uh, still been playing Animal Crossing. That's still awesome. Of course. Yeah, I had a really peaceful dream last night, which is pretty uncommon for me. Do you normally have very hectic dreams? Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, and uh, it's gonna sound not very peaceful, but I died in the dream, and I was actually at peace, which is weird because usually my dreams are the opposite. Cool, 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 cool. Happy stuff then. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's going to be a really unfortunate prelude to s- something at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so life's been lifing. Uh, I'm almost at finals week, which means I can stop existing in school for a while, which is great. <laughs> so, yeah. But enough about my life. 
how is the esteemed man with the glasses? That's me. <laughs> um, no, I was talking to Rocky. Oh. <laughs> it's his turn again. Uh, so, yeah, I'm glad you actually gave me another turn because I have – this will be surprised you. I have more to say. Um <laughs> Oh, actually me? Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, things have been mostly good. Work has been super, super hectic. Working in a grocery store right now sucks more than usual. And then, yeah, I've been arguing with uh, Spotify about a whole bunch of stuff with the podcast. Cause our, our last episode uh, at the time of this recording is still not on there. I don't know what's going on. It's nothing from our host's side on Podbean. Um, it's up on everything else, so, I mean, people have been listening to it, thankfully, just not on Spotify. So hopefully I get that fixed soon with them. We'll see what happens. But, yeah, mostly everything else has been been really good. Life's been great. All right. But with that out of the way, I think we should head on to talking about this movie. And the person who has seen the least of it, which is none, is E. So, uh, E. Yes. What do you think the Princess Bride is going to be about? Okay, so there is this girl who is somewhere between the ages of 12 and 20. She is the princess. Okay. Uh, she is looking for a bride and unable to find one. Okay. But luckily there is a man on horseback who comes by and then leaves. Okay. <laughs> they all learn a valuable lesson about how to tell a story to a grandchild. Okay, that seems like that's that literally is a description for most fantasy movies. So, I mean, yeah, spot on right there. It's pretty good. It's not the worst thing. It's not the best one, but there, I've there's probably worse out there. All right, let's head over on to uh, Robbie. What do you think this movie will be about, unless you think it's going to be spoiler, because you have seen portions of the movie? So, I think it's going to be about this boy, that's completely in green, that wakes up in a field. Whenever he looks around, he sees a cave. Okay, this is Legend of Zelda. No, 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 let me get to it. Whenever he walks into the cave, there's an old man surrounded by flames, and he's holding a sword, and he says, it's dangerous to go alone. Take this. Okay, yeah, just definitely sounding like Zelda. From what I can vaguely remember about what it is, I know it has something that it's kind of... Takes the, you know, hero's journey tale and kind of flips it over on top of its head and makes fun of it a lot. So, in a sense, it's kind of a rom-com, but it's kind of a parody of rom-coms within a fantasy setting of, you know, the, the chivalrous man save, or saving a woman from peril and blah, 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 blah. Um, I know it has to do with that, and it's, it is basically, you know, the hero's journey and the friends that he makes along the way while trying to save a princess. Okay, alright. Uh, Rocky! Hit us with it. Enter a world of podcasts. Some amateur, some not. Man tries to be good on podcast, but sounds come and and is it a dishwasher? Can't be heard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's called the dishwasher. Never mind. I, was thinking of that one. <laughs> I can see that. I can see your confusion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I uh, I don't even know. I think there's like a, a man who resembles Peter Pan going around with a fencing sword, <laughs> being snooty before killing other people, and it's totally a, about s- some woman that he loves. Sounds like Robin Hood. 
It's kind of like Robin Hood, but he's kind of snooty. Oh, okay. But he has a sword. <laughs> and there's generators. Did I mention generators? <laughs> or why are those on your mind? I don't know. The weirdest thing. They're oh, in the movie. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Was uh, I right? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I think we're going to find out here pretty soon. Uh, me and Sam have seen this movie a lot. It was a staple in the home when we were growing up. I, I love the film. Do you have it on VHS? No. Uh, did we? I don't think we did. I think it's just on TV all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We possibly might have. I we had it on DVD eventually. Yeah. Uh, me and Sam have seen it a lot. Or at least I've seen it a lot. I assume you've seen it a lot, Sam. Oh, yeah. I've probably seen it more than you have. Probably. <laughs> That's generally the prove case. Prove it. <laughs> you can't, you can't, there's literally no way to prove that. Build a time machine and prove it. I demand proof. And uh, Mr. Generator demands proof. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's get to the back of the box. A fairy tale adventure about a beautiful young woman and her one true love. He must find her after a long separation and save her. They must battle the evils of the mythical kingdom of Florin to be reunited with each other. Based on the William Goldman novel The Princess Bride, which earned its own loyal audience. The city of Florence? Florin. Like, okay. No, s- not, not Italy. It's kind of based on that, though. Oh, yeah. Is that a secret? Just a little no, bit. No, not really. <laughs> Are you whispering? That? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the generator on Rocky's mic scared me. <laughs> generator. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Before we get to watching this, Robbie, yeah. if anybody wanted to watch it with us, where could they do that? So there's a few different options. Some of them are a bit more expensive than others. You can watch it on Amazon Prime, and you can rent it for about $4 or three ninety nine. dollars uh, However, if you want to watch it on YouTube or Google Play, uh, I think you just need to buy it because it's $12.99, and on Voodoo it's $14.99, so I'm guessing it's just buy options. However... If you have a Disney Plus account, you can watch it with a su- subscription to Disney Plus. Yes, you can. Disney owns this? They do now. Oh. <laughs> they, they, they fucking own everything. Uh, no, they own 49% of everything. Yeah, if they own 50, then they'd be a monopoly. <laughs> yeah, the basically the one streaming option that you have is uh, Disney Plus. Everything else is going to be a small rental fee or purchase. So yeah, if you want to watch it before listening to the rest of this, go ahead and do that now. Otherwise, keep listening, and we'll be back in just a little bit. And we are back from watching the classic film, The Princess Bride. And the only thing really to ask is E. Hello. What'd you think about that? Spoiler free. And would you buy, rent, stream, or pass? Is is pretty good. Out of all those options, I'm trying to think. Uh, I feel like I'm teetering on the rent and the buy, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna push it over and say probably buy. Seems like a nice movie to own. Wow, that's a strong for you. I feel like I've said at I least mean, for three you movies it is. to buy. I mean, from the movies we've been watching lately, you 
hate movies. Yeah. So <laughs> this is strong. Everything's been pass or maybe stream. So having a buy from you is such a nice change of pace. I think I've had like two or three buys this podcast. Yeah, that's a lot <laughs> of episodes for that. Yeah, how many movies is there in existence? Come on. A lot. Yeah, so three out of a lot. That's <laughs> that's a number. Very, very fun for sure. Uh uh, I I recommend yes. So I just want to say, from watching your reactions, because half of this one I've seen a movie enough times, and then you obviously haven't seen the movie. Half of it is me watching how you're reacting to something and seeing like, all right, how's he feeling about this right now? And for the first like ten minutes of this movie, you were way not into this movie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's because the first ten minutes of the movie is just setting up your expectations of what movie it is. Yeah, you are for anybody who has seen this movie. There's a, it's very, it's very simple. It's not my a spoiler really. There is a little kid who the story is told to through the whole thing. He is that little kid, <laughs> basically, <laughs> pretty much. Oh my god, I actually wrote that down in my notes. <laughs> that I'm the little kid. <laughs> I wrote down E is Fred Savage. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> and he's not wrong because some of the things the kids said, like half a second, I was like, I said the same thing right before he said yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Robbie, you've seen portions of this movie. What did you think? And then buy, rent, stream, or pass? I really liked it. I could see why it's such a beloved film, honestly. I would say this is definitely one of those movies that. If you are a collector, it is definitely worth putting in your collection of movies. It is There's a very good reason why it's a cult classic and why even people who don't like... Because uh, this kind of has a rom-com feel to it in some ways. A little bit. I think yeah. it kind of shucks that off. But Yeah, yeah. it does kind of shuck it off. But like it's one of those things... Um, the radio station I used to listen to uh, at one of my old jobs, uh, they were talking about this movie in particular and says, uh, like, a man never watches rom-coms. The Princess Bride is definitely an exception for uh, for that. And it's illegal for men to watch rom-coms. In some guy circles, yeah, actually. It ruins the street cred. Makes you not very manly. That's why you need to drink Seagram's cocktails. Hashtag not sponsored. Hashtag <laughs> could be sponsored. <laughs> Hashtag Seagram's not listening to this. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I'd say it's a, it's a buy. Like, it's definitely, it's been on my list of movies that I need to watch for a while, and I just didn't get a chance to actually sit down and watch it until recently. Yeah, but I I would say this is definitely one of those buy movies. Like it is definitely it's a cult classic for a reason. Awesome, and then let's mix it up here, Sam. On to you. Yeah, definitely buy actually. Um, which says something because I don't really care about buying movies most of the time. Yeah, yeah, definitely buy. I think it's something that everybody should have in their collection because it is a classic, and it's one of those movies that you can, you know sit down and watch with your family or show to your kids because it's pretty wholesome. Except um, for when it isn't because there's some points in this to when I it's mean, not. Yeah, but, you I know, mean, kids can We watched it. it as kids and I thought it was fine. Like, yeah, and now you sacrifice cash like, and then I drink alcohol not to hate myself. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Listen, it's not a good movie. It's okay she sacrifices it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. Okay. Cool, cool. But... All right, and then on to Rocky. Uh, you know, I teeter-totter between renting and passing. 
That's an okay movie. What 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 was what what which what what was the thing that kept you what 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 it, why <laughs> explain I don't know it just didn't catch my interest I mean it was it was good enough where even though I wasn't interested I would still watch and things made me laugh and stuff it was good I mean look I'm not a movie critiquer in the sense that I know I talking about in that sense i can't tell you if this is a good or bad movie i could tell you me personally i would teeter-totter between renting and passing because it is there's funny enough things that keep my interest where i would probably enjoy running it for the most part though i mean it was just okay to me yeah i guess you um don't have those nostalgic glasses so you probably to be fair Oh, Robbie yeah, only has for... one lens of the nostalgic glass. <laughs> just a monocle. He didn't have them at all. But they both thought yeah. it was an excellent movie. So maybe it's just I have. So is it just my, the thing. silly nature of it that doesn't? Hit no, you? it's actually that was the most charming aspect of it. Um, you know, I can't really say what it was. There's really nothing that was bad. I thought the um the story was unique. I don't know. Why I didn't enjoy that movie? Maybe the tropes, though. There's very the the fantasy tropes in it may may be so integrated in those kind of movies that they don't really spark me to life when I see them. Okay, and that's really not taking a shot at the movie because I'm not saying that the movies was working on um, outplay tropes, but I mean, for instance, you had the giant, the rogue, you had the thieves. Uh, very, very basic um, fantasy stuff, but that wasn't really the point of the movie, so it, it w- it's not something I would trash the movie on. It was just that, for me, the first thing I go for is to have my, I guess, creativity sparked or my sense of imagination. It didn't really do that. It definitely played on charm. It is a very charming movie, and uh, I love the dialogue, for instance. I think the dialogue is very unique. Um, yeah, so but- this movie... Um- this movie came out in 87, so it's maybe more of a thing of its time. Like, it was more maybe unique and re- original at the time. Um, well, see, the thing is, I do think it's uh, still unique. Like, I watched that, and I wasn't like, oh, this has been, been done a thousand times. You know, it's, it's, it is yeah. all unique, but it plays on very basic. Like, you know, people who do, like, fantasy movies, they really got to give themselves, like, a jerk off just to come up with something unique. Cause, <laughs> <laughs> you really gotta come up with some creative shit. Like, that is true. <laughs> I mean, after, after Tolkien, what do you do? Well, yeah, exactly. So people, yeah. so you go to fantasies like, yeah, but you didn't hear the one about Bigeldorf, the hell-raising cyber spawn. What? Yeah, cyber. It's all cyber. That's what. That's my. That's my spin. Cyber fantasy. Sounds interesting. <laughs> a directors looking for a new movie. Hit us up. <laughs> Well, that, but it's so fucking hard with fantasy. But for this one, it plays off the very uh, sort of meat and potatoes of fantasy. It doesn't get into real, the the high fancy stuff. You got, like I said, you got your rogue, your giants, very super basic. So it doesn't spark that imagination. But movie, it's a, it's not a bad movie. Um, I think it but, was actually kind of going for like being tropey fantasy sort of movie. Yeah with a yeah. happy ending and all of that so <laughs> i i mean i'm i don't know anything about this movie besides the hour and 20 or whatever that i watched 
Um, so, like, the background of it, I don't really... So, uh, a little fun fact is that for a long time in Hollywood, there had been a lot of people trying to make this book into a movie, and it was considered to be one of those books that were just unmakeable, unfilmable. Two people had spec scripts for it, and they were getting ready to go into pre-production, and then they would die. Uh, that happened two times in a row. It was un... It wasn't connected, but it happened, which is weird. It's two Wait, times in a, yeah, like two times in a row. It's just sort of weird. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I actually know the uh, backstory behind those deaths. Interesting enough, it really was uncanny. I guess someone that looked like the writer of the book came on stage twice randomly and shot both of them in the back of the head. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> weird coincidence. Yeah, it's so strange. Yeah. <laughs> as for me i really love this movie it's one of those kind of chicken noodle movies for me like chicken noodle soup for the soul kind of stuff yeah, yeah like i watch it and i just instantly feel comfort i like to think that i don't have this huge filter of nostalgia goggles in front of me for most things in my life um just because most things in my life when i was a kid i didn't enjoy really so I don't have nostalgia for, like, being a kid. But it's just one of those things to where, like, this movie was on TV when I was sick enough times to where, like, I would watch it and then I would feel better. I don't know. There's just kind of this almost fairy tale mocking feeling about it that makes me feel happy. And it has such a strange tone to it that I feel like you can't quite pin it down to any one genre or, like, some of the writing sometimes in the later half feels like it's trying to be a spoof and then some of it takes itself super deadly serious to the point to where I think the actors are honestly really dedicated to the roles and to delivering the lines right and so I think it just like really rides that line of being a very serious movie that is having fun with its script and then being a very silly movie that's having fun with something serious um I don't know, it just makes me feel good watching it, and I enjoy it, and I think the writing's clever, I think the the acting is really clever. I, I really like it. I would say it is definitely a buy. If you can at all, check it out. Please do. It's an amazing film. I think that puts it at, what, we have four buys and a, and a, rent, and a rent, maybe? Yeah. Four buys in a pen. almost pass? <laughs> Who think... knows what the fuck my opinion four is, Four buys man. and... And a contrarian. Just to roll the dice. Four vies and a teeter-totter. So at the very, 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 very least, rent it. It's worth watching for anybody, honestly. It's it's insane that I know so many people who haven't seen it before because I just always thought it was one of those movies that everybody had seen. But I'm learning in my adult life there's so many things that people haven't watched and I'm starting to think I might be a shut-in that's seen too many movies. That means we just have the one thing left to talk about this movie for a very, very long time in excruciating detail in a way that nobody could ever possibly enjoy listening to. So let's do that now, I guess. We could opt. We could opt? Just not do it? Yeah, let's, you know, let's do something new and just, you know, be like, hey, it was good. Some people didn't think so. We'll catch you next week. <laughs> All right, so we're going to be right back, guys. So the movie opens up with the sound of a cough as the title pops on the screen and a kid in his room is playing a baseball game. 
Mom comes in to check on him, asking if he feels better. He says a little bit, and she tells him that his grandpa is there to visit him. And he's like, oh, I mean, can't you just tell him to go? Can't you just say that I'm sick? And she's like, I mean, he's here because you're sick, so he's like, oh, I just hate it, because every time he comes in, he always pinches my cheeks. And she's like, maybe he won't pinch your cheeks this time. Grandpa barges in. Very first thing he does is like, ah, oh, there's my sick kid, and then he pinches his cheek. So the mom says she's going to leave him out and walks away. Grandpa's like, hey, I bought this, like, super special present for you. He's like, oh, cool, I love presents. And then he opens up, oh, it's a book. Grandpa's like, that's right, when I was your age, television used to be called books. My dad read it to me when I was sick, and I used to read it to your father. Today, I'm going to read it to you. This is something that, where's his father at? Come on, this was clearly a tradition going on, and his father just said, fuck that, apparently. Cancer. Oh, is that actually? No, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) It was the 80s. His dad only got two days off a year. Yeah. Were you not paying attention during the... Read the damn book on those two days. Come on. Didn't you... You watch National Lampoon's. I did, in fact, watch Tom Clancy's Vacation. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) On Tom Clancy's Vacation, his two days on vacation, he takes his family out in the desert so they can kill the terrorists. That's exactly how it goes. Everybody's seen that classic. Yeah. So kid asks if there's any sports in it, and Grandpa starts saying, like, well, there's, there's war and violence and fantasies and drugs and poison and sharks and mystery. Like, okay, I guess I'll try and stay away. Did he say sharks? I don't remember. That's okay. a lot of stuff. He did not say drugs, I'll tell you that much. He wasn't like, <laughs> he wasn't like Danny, there's drugs, drugs, Danny. <laughs> I don't even remember the, I already forgot the kid's name, the kid but I know he name. wasn't talking about it's, uh, drugs. It's Fred, Fred. Savage. The kid's actual name is Fred Savage. Yeah. Maybe he said Freddy. I don't know. In the credits, he's just the grandson. Everest does his real name, does it? No, he's just the grandson. Yeah, but if your name's Fred Savage, use that. Come on. That's That's his real name. That's a badass name. That's what I mean. (laughs) I also have to, I also have to address the mother's 80s mullet. Like, I know it's the 80s, but come on. Oh, yeah. It's Beth. (laughs) It was. It was. Rough. (laughs) <laughs> Molds were just a thing back then. <laughs> I mean, hell, have you seen the Tiger King? It's apparently a thing still in Oklahoma. Yeah. Listen, how are you going to have the party in the front and business in the back? You have it backwards. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so Grandpa says his vote of confidence is overwhelming. Grandpa opens the book and starts reading it. Fades into a shot from, a, from on high of a small farm. And voiceover from the Grandpa starts up. It says Buttercup was raised in a small farm in the country of Florin. Her favorite pastimes were riding her horse and tormenting the farm boy that worked there. His name was Wesley, but she never called him that. Grandpa says, isn't that a wonderful beginning? And sort of annoy the boy, like, yeah, it's really good, Grandpa. Great, it's great, thank you. When are the drugs coming? (laughs) (laughs) Buttercup says she wants, goes up to uh, the farm boy. Here, shine this saddle for me. I want to be able to see my reflection in it by the morning. And he says, of course... As he always does, as Grandpa says, he always responded to her, as you wish. Cuts to Wesley cutting some wood, and Buttercup comes up with buckets and asks him to fill them with water, and he says, as you wish, with those come-fuck-me eyes. Because I don't know if you guys felt this way, but there's some definitely wants to fuck everything, right? Like, that's just his look, Carrie always. Considering how they, like, don't actually speak to each other, except for she orders him around, and he just says, as you wish he has to have like he has to like find some sort of way to communicate with her. So. <laughs> I guess yeah. <laughs> he just has those eyes that say, "I'm gonna bend you over a barrel." So I just gotta ask, 
What is Buttercup? Because she acts all high and mighty, but she also seems to be a commoner. She's, she's just a, commoner. a bitch. No, she's a commoner that, yeah. I don't know, owns a farm. I, I want to say she's kind of like... Hand. I kind of saw her as a maiden almost throughout the entire movie, honestly. Is that a profession? I saw her as like no, the next just... door neighbor that the dude was just like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> you live next door, you, you fucking bitch. <laughs> <laughs> This is a revenge. Like he's gonna be like, I'm gonna make this girl fall for me for all this shit she puts me through. That was that was murder eyes. Like, I wish. Yeah, like I don't know if how much of a spoiler this is. I thought like she just was a princess. Period. Going into the movie, especially here, and no. then no, she's just some bitch. Apparently, not some. I mean, they have some money, clearly, right? Yeah. Well, if they have money for a farmhand to do all their labor for them, then they definitely have money. Right, so they have some sort of wealth. So I'd say almost, like I said, maybe like a maiden or even a lord, maybe. Yeah. Considering she apparently owns land and has people she work She lived for in her. a fucking hut. Yeah. Yeah, but she has a farmhand. I mean, what do you want? A I don't know, that's her farmhand. That could be anyone's farmhand. We just have to acknowledge that maybe. we don't understand the rules to this weird fucking world. <laughs> that is also fair. <laughs> Maybe her parents died and just left that all for her. Oh, and she's just being an asshole. Including the farmhand. <laughs> yeah. Just the, the dude next door. That's all right, now that I got money, time for that shit had to work for me. <laughs> so over the voiceover, it says that that day she was amazed to discover that when he was saying, as you wish, what he meant was, I love you. And even more amazing was the day she realized she truly loved him back. Cuts to Wesley bringing in wood to the little cabin thing, and Buttercup says to Wesley, fetch me that pitcher, which is, like, exactly above her head. And he does, and he exclaims, as you wish, still undressing her with his eyes, or trying to stab her with his eyes. It's up in the air at this point. Now I'm confused about what his motive is. Cuts to a shot of Buttercup and Wesley on a hill, the setting sun behind them, the two of them about to lock lips and express the love they truly have for one another. And just as their lips meet, we get the boy interrupting the story, being like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait hold up. What is this? You trying to trick me? Where are the sports? What is this? This is bullshit. Is this a kissing book? And Grandpa's like, uh, just be patient. Like, let me read, man. It's going to get to, like, the good stuff. Or in Jiraiya's nightmare feel, it's just some kid screaming, where's the drugs? Where's the fucking drugs? <laughs> So he goes on saying Wesley had no money for marriage, and so he packed up and shipped out to seek a fortune. Says it was a very emotional time for Buttercup, and the kid is still like, what is this? This is such bullshit. Cuts to Buttercup and Wesley hugging. She's, she says she's afraid she'll never see him again. He says she will. He's like, what if something happens to you? Hear this now. I will always come for you, because this is true love. This doesn't just happen every day. Grandpa says Wesley never actually reached his destination, because, uh... Ship was attacked by the dread pirate Roberts, who never left captives alive, which means he had to obviously be dead. When Buttercup got the news of this, that Wesley was murdered, um, she couldn't handle it. And then in the voiceover you hear, like, the kids say, like, murder by pirates is good. That's cool, yeah. Keep going with murder. We can do this. Where's the drugs? Goes into her little hut thing, shuts the door, and she didn't sleep or eat for days, even stating she will never love again. Cuts to five years later. An announcement for the great Prince Humperdinck's bride-to-be, where it's saying, like, hey, I will, as a 
500 year anniversary for our nation, I will be marrying a commoner, somebody who was once just as common and poor as you. And I will marry them, and then they will be your queen. And now pronouncing Princess Buttercup. And then a horse comes out, because Buttercup is obviously the name of a horse and not a human being. Nope, not. This isn't <laughs> My Little Pony fic. Comes out walking on a red carpet. Everyone bows. And Buttercup's emptiness kind of consumed her. She still looks sad and kind of empty inside. Says she didn't really love the king at all, or Humperdinck or whatever. Despite Humperdinck's reassurance, she will grow to love him. Only joy found was in her daily ride on her horse. Shows her riding her horse around and stuff like that. And then this is the very moment I think is so amazing with this movie because this is the point where I felt E about to give up on it entirely and check out. And this is when the movie switches gears entirely. And so I feel like this is such good filmmaking. It's so purposeful, I feel like. And it clearly worked. There's also something coming up that I really, I'm very curious about on E's take on it, so we'll get to that in a little bit, though. She runs into three very different people in the woods, a small, bald man, a mid-sized man with a sword, and uh, Andre the Giant. It's just, that's what he is, he's Andre the Giant, he's a very big man. The smallest man says that they are but poor and lost circus performers and asks if a village is nearby. She's like, not for miles, he says, then no one will hear you scream. And then Andrea the Giant just goes up behind her and grabs her neck, and that apparently knocks her out. Yeah, like Vulcan, ever so gently grabs her neck. Yeah, like Vulcan neck grip kind of like bullshit, and it's just whatever. I mean, it's to be whatever. fair, like one of his fingers is about as thick as her neck, so. That's true. Fun fact, Robbie, um, when that actress was cold on set, as she very often was because they filmed it in England, um, Andrea the Giant would just go and put her, his hand on her head to warm her up because his hand would cover her entire head. That sounds about right. So he basically used yeah. his hand as like a warm mitten cap thing so while we're here another fun fact for a long time schwarzenegger wanted to really really play the role that andre the giant played which i think would have been very different it would have been very different uh he's despite being a very large man he's still a lot smaller smaller than andre the Giant. he's very short he's just very muscular yeah well I wouldn't even call him short. He's just shorter than right, Andre the yeah. Giant because I think he's every still... fu- every fucking buddy is shorter yeah, than much. Andre the Giant though. I was uh, I think Schwarzenegger's like six feet or six foot two or something like that. Like I'm I'm roughly about the same height as he is. He's just a lot more muscular than I am. Um, Liam Neeson also wanted to play the role, and the director apparently laughed him off the call, saying, "You're only six four. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> only. You're not big enough, you fucker." I don't know if I think this would have worked very well for Schwarzenegger because I don't know if he can really play the gentle giant. No, 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 I don't think he can. Yeah, he he wouldn't have done much for the role for sure. Yeah, definitely. Andre the Giant was the perfect. Oh yeah, definitely person for that role. Yeah, I literally can't imagine anybody else playing that role. Honestly, like it just it's mwah, chef's kiss. Cuts to small man ripping something off of fabric. The swordsman asks, like, "What are you doing? I'm ripping this piece of fabric from this uniform of an army officer of Gildar." And he starts going into explaining that like. They're the sworn enemy of Florin, and once they go and leave this patch and they find the body of the princess, then it's going to start this huge war. It's honestly a plot line that uh, is boring. It's really boring, and they use dumb names, and I, I just zone off. You know, like yeah. Gilder. It's something that it's supposed to be a bigger part or plot of the storyline, but it just uh, never feels like it is. I feel like the smart thing they do is they bring it up every now and again for lip service, and yeah. it's not ever actually that important, uh-huh. but they bring it up for yeah. a while. So Shortman shoes away the horse that Buttercup was on and says that once they find the horse reaches the castle, Prince will be all suspect that the Gildarians have abducted Buttercup, 
come looking for her, and that's when they'll find the body, and then a war will start, because he's trying to start a war. And then the giant's like, uh, you never mentioned killing anyone, dude. Small guy's like, well, I hired you to help me start a war. Like, long and glorious tradition of starting wars. Like, you should feel proud of your position. Like, yeah, I'm still not cool, uh, with killing people. Like, innocent girls, killing them, not really my thing. Uh, no. He specifically says, I didn't hire you to think, and then the swordsman says he agrees with Fezzik, which is when we learn the giant's name is Fezzik. Small guy's like, oh, the sot has spoken, and says that it's no one's concern what happens to her, and starts yelling at the swordsman, saying he needs to remember when he met him, and he was down on his luck, and he had no money, and he was just a slobbering drunk who couldn't even afford to buy brandy. Turns to the giant, starts insulting him, telling him how stupid and friendless and brainless he is, and he's worthless, and he should be lucky that... He got him out of all of his misery. Swordsman and Fezzik start talking. Swordsman says that Fazini liked to fuss. Fezzik says, fuss, fuss. Think he liked to scream at us. Swordsman says, he probably means no harm. Fezzik returns, he really, he's really very short on charm. Swordsman's like, you really have a great gift for rhyme. And the giant comes back, yes, just some of the time. And then they go on rhyming a whole bunch of stuff to really, really annoy Fazzini, which we learn is the short person's name here. And they sail away while mockingly rhyming. He keeps on yelling at them to stop rhyming. Yes, it's very, very good. And cuts to a nighttime shot of them sailing. And Fazzini says that once they reach the cliffs by dawn and asks why the uh, swordsman is watching behind them the whole time. He's like, well, to make sure no one is following. And then the short man's like, that would be inconceivable. And Buttercup starts saying, like, they're going to be caught, and the prince is going to come after them, and they're really going to regret everything. And Sorn's like, you sure no one's following us? And Fazzini says, as I told you, it would be absolutely, totally, and in all other ways, inconceivable. No one in Gilder knows what we've done, and no one in Florin could have gotten here so fast. Out of curiosity, why did you ask? The swordsman says, no reason. Suddenly, I just, you know, happened to look behind us, and something's there. And then they all get up and start looking to, or at the back of the ship and see that there is definitely a ship tailing them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Fazzini's like, no, no, it's probably nothing, just a fisherman at night going through horribly eel-infested water. And then you hear a splash behind them, and it's Buttercup just fucking diving off the goddamn boat right after he says eel-infested water. And Fazzini's like, get after her, go, go left, go left. And, like, Swerven's like, uh, yeah, I don't swim, actually. And he's like, Fezzik, go. He's like, I only do the doggy paddles, so I don't know. So they start going after her on the boat, and Vizzini's like, You're left! Go! Go! And you hear shrieking, and Vizzini starts to explain, like, That is the sound of the eels. They screech when they're hungry and near, and, like, the louder they are, the closer they are to you. Do you hear that? Of course you hear that. They get louder and louder when they're about to feast on human flesh. And the eels swim up and swim up, and they're about to go and hit Buttercup. Vizzini says, Swim back now, no harm. Yeah, swim back now, and I promise no harm will come to you. Yeah. And he's like, I... Doubt you're going to get such a deal from the eels. Bunch of splashing and swimming, and you see a shot of the eels, open mouth and jagged teeth coming at the camera, and cuts to the grandpa and kid. And grandpa's like, um, she doesn't get eaten by the eels, by the way. Like, yeah, no, what? Yeah. Like, just, you know, because, I'm just explaining that, because, you know, you seemed a bit nervous. It's like, no, no, no. I mean, maybe a bit concerned, but that's different. That's not the same thing. I was like, I can stop now if you want. It's like, no, no, read on, read on. I mean, if you want to, it's cool. I mean, up to you, totally. I mean, I don't care one way or the other. And then there's a really, really fun scene to where the grandpa starts reading, and you get him reading all the lines from the scene. 
And the kid's like, no, no, we already hit that part. He's like, oh, right, right, my bad. And like it starts kind of fast-forwarding <laughs> through the scene to get to the part where we were at. I really, really like that part. It's really good. Just as she's about to get eaten, Fezzik punches the eel in the head and pulls Buttercup out of the water. And Fizzini says to ignore the ship behind them and just keep sailing. Cuts to daylight, and the swordsman says the ship is right on top of them. The swordsman's like, I wonder if he's using the same wind as us. <laughs> a really good line. <laughs> Um, Vizzini says he's too late because they already made it to the Cliffs of Insanity and it shows this big giant cliff face with just rocks and it's super high and it looks really bad visually. <laughs> um, I mean, 1980s. Yeah, what you gonna do, right? Vizzini says, like, they're safe now because the only person who's ever been possibly strong enough to climb these is Fezzik. So the other guy's gonna have to go around for hours and find a harbor to land on and follow them on land. So they get this rope going. They all hold on to Fezzik and he starts climbing, like, really, really fast. And the stranger gets off his boat right next to them, starts climbing up after them. The swordsman notices, and Vizzini says, um, it's inconceivable! And he tells Fezzik to go faster, and Fezzik's like, how do you want me to go faster? Like, there's three of you on top of me. That's just him on him. Like, of course he's gonna go faster. That's whenever Vizzini starts telling him, like, after this, I need to go and hire myself another giant. (laughs) And Fezzik's like, oh, come on, don't say that, please. (laughs) (laughs) As if, like, there's just a horde of giants for sale somewhere <laughs> right like there's, there's fantasy land maybe there are maybe so they get up onto the cliff and the immediately fazzini starts cutting the ropes and the rope falls down and they all look down over the edge and fezzik is like wow he has really good arms because you see that the stranger has like grabbed onto the side of the cliff and fazzini's like he didn't fall that's inconceivable and the swordsman um says like you keep using that word I don't think it means what you think it means. Yes, which is so good. It is. That's act- that was a very popular meme I-, meme, I think, back in, like, 2011. Oh, it's still- I still see it a lot, actually. This yeah. movie spawned a ton of memes, oh, honestly. Oh, yeah. Tons. But, yeah, that was definitely one of them. It's like, I don't think- you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Yeah. I- We've been watching a lot of meme generator movies. Uh, Reefer Madness, Half-Baked, yeah. mm-hmm. this. So- the stranger keeps climbing, and Vizzini tells the swordsman to stay behind and deal with him, and they're going to go off. And the swordsman's like, yeah, yeah, okay, but I'm going to do it with my left hand. He's like, why? You know we're, like, in a time crunch. He's like, yeah, well, I'm going to do it with my left hand, because either way, because if I do it with my right hand, then it's going to be over too fast, and it's not going to be very fun that way. He's like, I just, I need to be satisfied. He's like, okay, fine, just do whatever you have to do. We're going to go, just take care of this. And Fezzik tells him to be careful, because masked people can't be trusted, which I feel like is a line about wrestling. Maybe. Because Andre the Giant was a wrestler. I feel like it's a wrestling line. It might be. I don't know. I feel like in general that's usually pretty accurate. Masked oh. people can't be trusted? Yeah. Which is like most of the population right now. Yeah, that's, what that's, not, right. yeah. that's a different kind of mask. That's not the mask they're talking about. They're talking about over the eyes. Oh, so fun fact here. Um, the stranger, who is wearing all black, was designed very blatantly after Zorro. Zorro. Yeah. 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 What? <laughs> I know, crazy. I can't believe it. <laughs> um, they actually had a design where he literally had the cape and everything. And they're like, okay, that's maybe too blatant and silly. Take the cape off. You know, it had the Z on the chest, too. They're like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> they had the actor from Zorro. This, uh, I got to admit, this is actually a Zorro adaptation at first. <laughs> I honestly, like, I just thought that was just going to be straight up Zorro. Like, I thought <laughs> that would have been really fun. <laughs> they were just going to be like, yeah, and then Zorro came. I actually really like the um the sets during these parts too. Yeah. They look pretty big like when they're on the on the uh boat getting out to climb the cliff. 
Like you can tell it's a set, but it looks pretty expansive. Half of it isn't a set, actually. The boat was just there. Really? Yeah, half of it's not a set. Like the things that are very clearly like matte paintings and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but like a lot mm-hmm. of the cliffside shots wasn't a set. Huh. Yeah, I was gonna say it when they set like. <laughs> Whenever they get up on top of the cliffs, like you can tell it's it's very clearly a set. Like yeah. it honestly reminds me of a theater set. You can literally see like the texture of the map painting behind them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it works a lot in the charm of the movie though, being a does, story yeah. told by the grandfather. Yeah, it's it's great. Like honestly, I think the entire tone of it feels like even if it looks cheap, like it fits the tone of everything. It does. I was gonna say though, like honestly, I didn't think much of it just because like watching a lot of eighties uh either sci-fi or fantasy movies you see stuff like that a lot especially if it was a low budget one yeah that's true yeah up on top of the cliff the swordsman starts practicing for a moment and then he starts engaging in small talk with the stranger stranger's like this isn't as easy it looks you know and swordsman's like practicing he's like a bit more and then he asks the stranger to speed up things up he's like you go a little faster you know yeah maybe if you like if you're in such a hurry yeah toss me a rope or something he's like "Mm, yeah i could do that i do have a rope up here but even if I toss you the rope, like... You won't trust me. <laughs> yeah, like, he's like, oh, so yeah, like, that is a good point. He's like, but, I mean, you can trust a Spaniard. You're like, no, I've actually known a lot of Spaniards. I don't trust them. Like, what can I do to convince you? He's about to walk away. He's like, I swear on my father's soul that I will, that no matter what, you will get to the top of this cliff. And he's like, all right, throw the fucking rope down. Let's do it. <laughs> I mean, I think the line that I really liked that, though, was... um. It's like, I could throw you a rope to bring you up here, but I am planning to kill you once you get up here. Well, that does damper our relationship. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, this is the point where you'll really realize, like, the dialogue really drives this movie. It really does. It does. And, like, honestly, that is, it's a very clever scene between two people who are very much smart asses. Yeah. Throws the rope down. Helps him up. Pulls him up with the rope, in fact, because he's trying to get him up there. And right when he gets on top of the cliff, the stranger starts pulling out his sword to fight, and the sword's like, no, 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 wait, wait, take your time, wait until you're ready. Like, all right, thanks. And so they sit down to rest for a moment, and they start talking, and he really liked this part from his reaction, I could tell. The uh, stranger pulls off his boot and pours down just a fucking giant-ass rock <laughs> starts coming out of it. <laughs> like, you know me, I love visual humor like that, yeah, just yeah. like... Way more rocks than you could ever feasibly actually put in a boot. It's literally they just filled that boot with rocks and then had him dump it on the floor. Like, yeah. I love Joe. Like, one of my favorites I've seen of that is, like, when someone just has, like, a tennis shoe on and they've been on the beach and then it just, like, constantly pours out sand. Yeah. Like, yeah. I just love stupid stuff like that. It's great. So the swordsman asks the stranger at this point, he's like, hey, you don't happen to have six fingers on your right hand, by the way, do you? He's like, no. He's like, okay. Um, And he starts explaining that his father was slaughtered by a six-finger man. The stranger shows him his hand, only five fingers. The swordsman explains his father was a great sword maker. Then the six-finger man appeared and asked for a special sword. The father took the job, obviously. He slaved for a year before it was done. The swordsman like pulls out a sword at this point, and it's a very nice-looking sword, honestly. Um, it's very diamondy and glittery and golden and very shiny, and he like hands it to the stranger who yeah. he's about to fight with this sword. He just lets him hold it, and the dude could just fucking throw it off the cliff, but there's that much trust and respect at this point, so whatever, I guess. And he's like, wow, this is a great sword. I've never met its equal. Uh, the swordsman goes on to explain, like, well, when he was done, the six-finger man came back to purchase it. But he demanded that it be sold to him for one-tenth the promised price. And the father refused, so the six-fingered man slashed the father through the heart. And then the swordsman's like, 
And of course, since I loved my father, I challenged him to a duel, and I failed. And the only he left me alive, of course, but the only thing that he did leave me with were these two scars. And he shows his cheek, and there's a slash on each cheek of the scars that the six-finger man left him. He said he was 11 years old, and he, he wasn't strong enough. But when he was strong enough, he decided to dedicate his life to the study of fencing. So the next time he meets, he will not fail. He, he will go up to the six-fingered man and say, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And he's done nothing since that point but study swordplay. Goes talking to the man. He's like, wow, that's very impressive. He's like, yes, I've been, been 20 years and losing confidence. Just worked for Vizzini to cover bills. Not a lot of money in revenge. <laughs> <laughs> Another very clever line. So the stranger hopes he finds him someday. He asks him, like, so uh, are you ready? He's like, whether I am or not, you've been more than fair. And the swordsman's like, you seem a decent fellow. I hate to kill you. And the stranger replies, you seem a decent fellow. I hate to die. And so the sword fight begins. And it's very, very metallic. <laughs> it's very metallic. And um, the choreographer for Star Wars actually did the choreography for the sword scenes in this. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Apparently, also, the two actors worked for months and months and months for the physical training on this scene to get the choreography and actually get the fencing down. Every single stunt in this, except for the flips, they're doing. That's kind of insane, honestly, because they're yeah. working really fast. They are working fast. Uh, you can tell it is, like, uh, they're actually making contact with the swords. And, like, if you pay attention to the swords, you can see, like, the fact that, uh, that they're actually made out of real steel, they're swinging them hard enough that it's bending the steel as they're swinging it back and forth. Yeah, it's real fencing swords. Yeah. It's insane. It's awesome. Yeah, it is pretty <laughs> awesome. We didn't decide we are going to watch this movie until last night. And honestly, like about three nights ago, I was watching a video on YouTube of a guy that was, uh, I guess he was an actual swords expert in real life. Like that's what he does for a living is he trains people how to fight with swords. They had him rate a bunch of different movies and TV shows on which ones he thought were some of the uh, most realistic ones. And they actually did this scene of the Princess Bride and he gave it a six out of 10. He said, uh, despite the fact that they're actually making fun of a lot of tropes that they do in a lot of other movies, they're actually being rather accurate with uh how they're fe like the fencing style that they use he says like the only problem is like there's a lot of like swinging back and forth because like you know that very stylistic thing of a movie where you're like you do very wide swings or you know you do spins and stuff like that you wouldn't yeah. do that in a real yeah, fight it because you're wide open yeah exactly it leaves you wide open it exposes your back it's a very bad thing it's a very bad technique to use that yeah but he says like honestly for most of the technique they use in that despite the fact they're making fun of other movies and the techniques that they use and like how they say that they're masters and all these different styles and all this other stuff like he says it actually is very well done and he gave it a six out of ten yeah speaking of techniques they go on to say in the movie like oh you're using the benenis defense against me and the stranger's like thought it would be befitting considering the rocky terrain like naturally you must expect me to attack with capoferro naturally but i find the tribolt cancels out capoferro and they're fighting up this little rock cliff thing and he backs off and then jumps off this the uh, end of it that's on top of this other bigger cliff so it's a little tiny cliff Probably a much bigger cliff. <laughs> um, it, it's like a playground. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. He's like, unless the enemy has studied his grippa, which I have. And then he just does a running flip over the stranger, which is really entertaining. I think yeah. even though it's very comedic, this fight is actually really fucking cool. It honestly. is a neat fight. Like, it's just a, like, it's over the top. And yeah. It's a thing that I think a lot of movies do wrong. If you're going to be over the top, own it like yeah don't yeah. don't try to cut yourself short just own it yeah 
That is one of the charms of this movie, though, is this movie knows what it is and it knows how to play on to what it actually is. So it doesn't try to, like, defend itself in a weird way or try to say that it, it's something that it's not. And so, like, the fact that it knows it's over the top, they just double down on it. Yeah. Which just makes it that much greater. Yeah. And after the flip, the stranger's like, you are wonderful. And then the swordsman, who now we know his name is Niego, Niego Montoya, from what he was saying earlier. So I'm going to keep calling him Niego now. Um, he's like, thank you. I worked hard to become so. And they're fighting and they're fighting. He's like, I do have to admit, though, that you are better than I am. He's like, then why are you smiling? Because I know something you don't know. And what is that? I am not left-handed. And then he switches his hands to his right hand. And then while they're, like, fighting and the stranger is winning the fight and they're about to back off the cliff that they just climbed up from that giant rope. And he switches hands, and then he starts fighting him back. They start fighting up these little staircases, and the stranger starts losing now. And he says again, you are amazing. He's like, I ought to be after 20 years. And then the stranger's like, something I ought to tell you. I'm not left-handed either. And then he switches hands <laughs> and knocks Inigo's sword away from him. And Inigo jumps off and swings on this pole that is very clearly set up to just be <laughs> swung on. Yeah. <laughs> It's great. It's very much a metal pole between two very large pieces of wood to hold a human body yeah. that they put there and just put a little bit of moss on it to try well, to cover up that it's a And the part that has hole. moss clearly shows where you're supposed to grab Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's amazing. amazing. It's great. Um, and so he swings on that and gets to his pole, which is the actual actor doing that jump right there. Gets back to his sword. The stranger throws his sword into a piece of grass very stylishly, and he does the whole, like, gymnastics twirl thing around it, which... Was not the actor there. <laughs> what? <laughs> Inigo asks who he is, and the stranger says, no one of consequence. Inigo says, I must know. Stranger's like, get used to disappointment. Inigo's like, okay. And then they keep fighting. <laughs> <laughs> and then Inigo's sword gets knocked out of his hand again, flies into the air. He rushes over behind him, catches it out of the air, which is very stupid and very fun. They're fighting, they're fighting. Bunch of really dumb moves. He loses his sword. And he loses the fight in consequence and tells the stranger, okay, fine, but kill me quickly. And the stranger says, I would as soon destroy a stained glass window as an artist like yourself. However, since I can't have you following me either, and he just fucking bonks him on the head with the back of his sword and runs off. Yeah. Goes back onto his adventure. To find the it is very much a duel of gentlemen right there, though. Yes, I love that scene so, so much. It's really it's cool. very well choreographed. Choreographed? Yeah, choreographed. Thank you. <laughs> Choreographed. I almost said that. I'm not going to lie. So uh, the bald man and Andre the giant are walking with the princess, and the bald man looks, and he realizes, oh, he's following us again. And Diego failed the task. So he tells Andre the giant to stop him. And Andre's like, okay, how should I do that? And the bald man's like, use your way. And he's like, what's my way? And he tells them <laughs> to pick up a rock, hide behind a boulder, and hit him over the head with it. It's I like, mean, I don't like my way very much. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't that's like not very way. sportsmanlike. Yeah. <laughs> and so the bald man and the princess leave, and he gets ready. And as, uh, as the masked man shows up, a rock is thrown on a boulder, and it smashes. And, he's, and Andre the Giant says, that was a warning shot. Yeah, he's like, I didn't have to miss you, no. Yeah. And the mess fan was, I very much appreciate it. And Andre the Giant's like, I don't really like this way of fighting, so how about we throw away our tools and do this hand-to-hand? And the mess fan's like, I feel like you have a bit of an advantage here. <laughs> <laughs> but the sportsman like he is, he throws down his weapon, and 
the sportsman like Andre is, he throws down his rock. And they begin to fight. Andre just kind of stands there while the masked man tries to hit him and tries to flip him over. And I mean, he's up against a man who's over seven feet tall and weighs over 500 pounds. And yeah. Just like, well, what the fuck do I do? Yeah, he's like, are you just messing with me? He's like, oh, I wanted to give you a shot. I didn't want to completely ruin your hopes as I knocked you out. Yeah, the masked man just, like, runs into him, and Andre is just basically a brick wall. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. But that masked man has a trick up his sleeve. He jumps on a rock, and then he jumps on Andre's back and begins the sleeper hold. And Andre just kind of keeps he keeps backing into boulders, hitting the masked man on the boulders. He's like, <laughs> just keeps doing that. To say, wasn't it during this scene um, that like doesn't he ask him like why are you wearing a mask? And it's like it's very it's very comfortable. I feel yeah, like, every oh, every yeah. much I think very every, stylish. I think everybody will be wearing one in a few years. Yeah. <laughs> but as it keeps going, that part sort of um <laughs> that part showcases how giant Andre the giant yeah. actually is because yeah. the masked man looks like a child yes, yes. <laughs> latching on to him. <laughs> but the masked man will not relinquish his grip. And Andre slowly but surely falls down. And the masked man kind of flips him over to make sure he's still alive and goes off on his way. He's like, you are, I do not envy the headache you're going to have in the morning. <laughs> Clarify exactly how much, or how big he is. Seven foot four, 529 pounds. He was a big man when he was oh, alive. Oh, yeah. But anyways, after that scene is whenever he starts chasing up after Vasali, he said his name was, right? Yeah, Mussolini. Mussini, thank you. <laughs> He's holding the knife up to his neck, and the masked man is slowly approaching her towards him, and he keeps on telling him, like, one more step, and, and I'll kill her. And you, you wouldn't want that, would you? Well, for one, the masked man's trying to call his bluff and just keeps walking. Yeah, yeah, he does keep on walking, but he keeps on putting the knife closer and closer to her. He asks him, like, you are a man of intelligence, aren't you? And it's like, you know, Plato, or Socrates, Socrates, Another famous Greek I think philosopher. It was Aristotle. Yeah. Ar thank you. Aristotle? He's like, yeah. Morons. <laughs> like, how about we play a game of wits then? It's like, all right. So, uh, so at it. Pulls out a poison, which kind of spacing on the name of that poison right now. Iocane. Iocane. I was going to say iodine. Yeah. <laughs> Has important. <laughs> Has important some grape There's juice. There's your drug. <laughs> Drugs! Ha! Ah! <laughs> real life drug. Totally a real life drug. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, it is? Yeah, Iocane's a real oh, thing. Oh, yeah, and it wasn't mentioned, but to be in between some of these scenes, it shows um Prince Humperdinck tracking them down. Yeah, he's, like, kind of going through the steps <laughs> of what you just saw. He's, like, <laughs> yeah. tracking them kind of like how Aragorn tracks in Lord of the Rings, like, following footsteps. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He does get it a little <laughs> yeah. bit wrong as he's going, though. He's, he's like, like, oh, there's two, yeah, there's two fights here, and one was victorious, and the victorious one stayed here, and the loser ran away. Yeah, he said it weird. He did. Oh, I don't remember what he said. Yeah, exactly. it didn't, he sounded more like a wizard than a tracker. Like he just was, <laughs> just somehow knew exactly what was going on. Yeah, because like he, he hopped around. I I half anticipate him to like actually like kick up dust from where the footsteps were. You know, like <laughs> like in someone's face. One of the guards dance. like goes down and tastes yeah, it. Man, yes, I know exactly where they went. Fucking... <laughs> yeah, he does actually yeah. say that he's just like the loser ran off that way, and it's like the winner stayed around around this area. Maybe we should should we chase after that? Are oh, those footsteps? No, 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 no. We're not going to chase where the loser went. I mean, it's fair. Yeah. It's a really weird. Thing. It is a little kind of weird. And yeah. then after that, there is a scene where 
uh, while this is happening, he does look and he's like, oh, there was a battle amongst a giant here. Which there was. Yeah, which there was. <laughs> I can't remember exactly what he said with that one, though, but he does like try to track on like what was going on. He's basically telling him the story of his interpretation of what happened. If there's following... any scene I think this movie doesn't need, it's probably these because they literally just explain what you just saw. Honestly, yeah. except for two scenes with Humperdinck, every single Humperdinck scene could be taken out. Probably. I get. Well, I think so. It's just kind of n- nice to build who Humperdinck is, but... I guess, but I, I mean... Like, he's not he's not the most interesting character. Who is the real Humperdinck? Yeah, we need to... That's a, what he's getting at. We, we want to really <laughs> see who this man, the substance of... He's more than just a prince, king, whatever the fuck he is. <laughs> Mostly right? just a He prince. is also filler for the movie. Yeah, I mean, if exactly. anything, that's a, he is the... Two minutes between every set of jokes that like break you down, so you're ready to laugh again. He is how you know you can go to the bathroom. There you go. <laughs> if AMC released this right now, then their pee time counter every Humperdinck scene. That's when you could go to the bathroom. That's a real it thing, is. by the way. When theaters were a thing, still, uh, AMC <laughs> had this little thing in their time. app to where before you go see the movie, you're like, "Hey, pee times. Tell me when I go pee." And it's like, hey, the first one, the first two minutes of the movie, this is what happens. So you can pee or like when you're getting your concessions, if you miss the first two minutes, boom, here you go. And then they tell you every single time, like you hear this line, go pee. Nothing happens for this amount of time. That's how much time you have to go pee. When you come back, this is what you missed. It's not that big of a deal. Honestly, the cool. Devastating blacklist for actors. <laughs> oh, this fucking asshole. Go pee. <laughs> That's what directors tell them whenever they Fucking they're... leave if you have to. Just don't watch this shit. I mean, one of my favorite In ones... The movies they didn't like, they just said, take a piss during the whole movie. Just I'm, not, I'm not even kidding. The there are some where it just says, like, you can pee whenever. Doesn't matter. You won't miss a fucking thing. If, if fuck this movie. And then, like, with Endgame, it was like, you can pee, like, right before the movie starts, and then, like, right, right after it ends. Yeah. That's it. You shouldn't leave any other time. Sorry. The, for this three-hour-long movie. Yeah. yeah. I probably should have had this because as Jariah knows, when I go to theaters, I have an uncanny ability to need to pee right when the important stuff like, happens. Like, literally, right when the biggest plot point happens, that's immediately when everybody's is like, fuck this, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> like, we watch Spider-Verse, and when it's like, oh, hey, this spite or uh, spoilers for Spider-Verse, if you are interested in seeing it, uh, it's like, hey, did you know that this Spider-Man's actually the one from those movies you guys liked? I missed that because I had to pee really bad. I was like, this doesn't <laughs> seem important. I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> and I came back and Drew, I was like, uh, you missed the part where it explained that this is actually the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Yeah, it was really good. I was like, damn it. <laughs> I think it was the same with me, but it was another one of those, like, I had to pee kind of thing. And so I got to the theater late and I was like, all right, what'd I miss? <laughs> You're like, pretty much just plot to the Sam Raimi uh, Spider-Man. It's like, really? Yeah. <laughs> so before we went off on a tangent, uh, we were talking about Bassini having stolen our princess at knife point. Telling the man in black that if he comes any closer, he's gonna gonna kill her. And the man in black somewhat calls his bluff and just keeps on coming closer. And he just keeps on like kind of poking the knife at her neck, saying like, "I'll do it. I swear to God, I'll do it." And that's whenever the man in black makes a assumption, saying, "So the man was swordsman that I fought earlier is apparently the uh, the steel of the group. The giant is apparently the strength of the group. Like I'm guessing you're that you are the wits of the operation." That's whenever he starts naming off Greek philosophers, saying, "You know, Plato, Socrates." Aristotle, morons. It's like, okay, well, how about this? A battle of wits. Battle of wits? To the death? Mm-hmm. You're on. And then he puts the knife away. He's like, okay, fill up the cups with wine. All right, he fills up two cups with wine, and that's whenever he pulls out the poison. It's this Iocane. 
There is no smell, there is no taste, and it dissolves instantly in liquid. It is also one of the deadliest poisons known to man. Then he went to pour one of them into one of the cups, and uh, you'll have to guess which cup is which. And then, you know, he turns his back to him, pours the poison in the cups, kind of, like, does a little thing behind his back, and then, like, gets the cups and kind of, like, moves them back and forth, like, uh, uh, which one are you going to get? And then, like, puts one in front of him and puts one in front of Cassini. And he's like, tells him, all right, which one's the poison? Battle of which has begun. It ends when you decide and we both drink. Find out who's right and who's dead. Cassini goes off on a very long tangent, enough so that I actually had to pull it up to tell you exactly what he says. He says, but it's so simple. All I have to do is divine what I know of you. You are the sort of man who would put poison into his own goblet or his enemies. Now, a clever man would put poison in his own goblet because he would know that only a great fool would reach for what he's given. I am not a great fool, so I can clearly not choose uh, the wine in front of you. But you must have known I was uh, not a great fool and you would have hoarded it. So clearly not choose the wine in front of me made your decision then not remotely because iocane comes from australia and as everyone knows and australia is entirely composed of criminals and criminals are used to having people not trust them as you are not trusting me so i can clearly not choose the wine in front of you truly you have dizzying intelligence now wait till i get going now where was i australia yes australia you must have suspected that i would have known the powder of its origin so you clearly not chose the wine in front of me you're stalling now You'd like to think that, wouldn't you? <laughs> You'd beat my giant, which means that you're exceptionally strong. You could have put poison in your own goblet, trusting your strength to save you. But I can clearly not choose the wine in front of you. But uh, you've also bested my Spaniard, which means you have studied. And studying, you must have or have learned the man our man is mortal. And you have... <laughs> which is like such a... Like, what the fuck? Of course. Of course you're an idiot. <laughs> you have uh, put the poison as far uh, from you as possible. So I can clearly not choose the wine in front of me. You're trying to trick me into giving something away. It won't work. It has worked! You've given everything away! I know where the poison is! Then make your choice. I will! And I choose! What in the world can that be? And then he gestures uh, over to the side, and the man in black looks backwards, and Cassini swaps the goblets between the two men. What? Where? I don't see anything. Well, I could have sworn I saw something, but no matter. And then he tries to hold back his laughter, which he does it in very much of a stage play kind of way. Yeah. <laughs> then he does the, what's so funny? I'll tell you in a minute. First, let's drink. Me of my glass and you from yours. See me and the man end up drinking the wine. And then the man in black says, you guessed wrong. See me says, you only think that I guessed wrong. What's so funny is I switched the glasses when your back was turned. Ha! You fool! You fell victim to one of the classic blunders, the most famous of which is never get involved in land war with Asia, which doesn't make any sense either. <laughs> But only slightly less uh, well-known is this. Never go against a Sicilian when death is on the line. Ha 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 And then stops and falls over dead. Just instantly. It's yep. such a good reaction. It line. is. Like, that whole scene is just great, which is another scene I've actually seen replayed in various different ways in other comedies. Because it's just so funny. It is. Yeah. Like, just the man is so into his own intelligence. He is, and it, it more or less shows that he's more into himself than he actually is intelligent. But just, like, I think one of my favorite things about that is, you're stalling. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and then he just keeps on going on like he said nothing. Fun fact for me, I thought this was a Monty Python skit, actually. Oh, you thought this was a, oh, that's, oh, that's, oh, okay. Because I knew the skit, because, you know, it's in the general zeitgeist nowadays. Right. Yeah. But I just assumed it was a Monty Python thing. Huh, that's awesome. That's really cool, actually. Yeah. You learned a thing today. I learned. 
That's a new thing. But yeah, the, like that is definitely another trope that I've seen in a lot of other movies, and I knew it did come from this. But yeah, after that, Man in Black takes a blindfold off of the princess and asks if she's okay. She says, And to think, all the time it, uh, it was your cup that was poison. He says, They're both poison. I spent the last few years building up a immunity to iocane powder. Oh, so we get a scene of like the king tracking again, because they've run away from the scene at this point. Right. Um, um, and she's like, listen, just if you take me in and say that you found me, you'll get five times what the ransom is. He's like, no, no, no. The, I would never do that. This, I'm not here for doing that. Like, that's not the point of this. There is no greater hunter than Prince Humperdinck. And he goes on saying, like, oh, you think your dearest love will save you? Like, I know he will. No, she says, I didn't say anything about oh, love. Oh, yeah, I didn't say anything about love, but I know he'll save me. I have loved more deeply than a killer like yourself could ever dream. I want to say it's at that point he puts his hand back and he says, like, yeah, he yeah. gets ready to bitch slap her. Yeah. yeah, and he's like, that was a warning. <laughs> Which is like, huh. And it's a very, it's like super serious for this movie. Yeah, yeah, like this movie will go super, super silly, and then in an instant, it is the most deadpan serious fucking thing. Oh, yeah. This is definitely one of those deadpan serious things. He says, like, this is a warning. Next time, our next time I will hear, our hit you because that's so are what we do with women where I come from. Women who lie specifically, or, not just women. Women, <laughs> women. No, I don't. I don't. I don't <laughs> like, you want to get hit because that's what we do with women. <laughs> I don't think that's what they do. Yeah, it's, again, it's women who lie, yeah. not just women. Sorry, let me rephrase that. <laughs> Take this as a warning. Do you, do you know what happens to women who lie? They get the hand. I should know I'm a fucking hero. Okay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, if you're reading a, a Robert Heinlein novel, then yeah, that's exactly what the hero does. I do think he is, like, weirdly aggressive towards her. Um... I know he's like, you know, trying to be this character or whatever, but Yeah, it was weird. like like I don't know. It was a little much. I also it was a little much. And I also I also don't know how she didn't know who he was since she like loves him so much. Oh, he was wearing a mask. She would probably yeah. recognize him. I so think her hands she should have known. Like, oh my god, I know who you are. <laughs> If she thinks he's dead, I know, but still. I mean, if you love someone that much and you see them, you're like, oh, shit, it's you. I, I recognize that backhand anywhere. <laughs> oh, no. Listen, have you ever, like, seen someone you know, but they're wearing a mask and have a mustache now? You probably don't think you did, but you have. It happens all the time. <laughs> it's a very common occurrence, so... I don't. I think the movie's very realistic in this sense. I'm just gonna say though, and all the the, the backhanding her thing was kind of weird. It me. is super like, weird. Yeah. I mean, I, very dark undertones. Yeah, to this weird thing. vibes. Yeah. It reminds me of like an abusive ha household where the man is like an adolescent who's like, "Liars get hit. Liars get hit." You know Freaking what we know like, about lying here. And doesn't that sound like something, though, like someone would say after they've done that to justify their shitty actions? Just yes. really loud? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so I think yeah. it's, yeah, she says, are you the Dread po R Pirate Robertson? It's like, ah, yes, that is me. Well, and actually, she uh, first she says, like, your cruelty shows everything. You're the Dread Pirate Roberts. You killed my love. 
And he's like, possibly. I've killed a lot of people, honestly. Like, yeah. fucking. And then she said, it was exactly five years ago. Yeah. Uh, he was on, a shi- on our ship, and you killed him. Like, well, uh, I don't know, maybe. What was your love like? Farm boy, pure and perfect. Like, oh, yeah, I bet. You mocked my pain. Yeah. And <laughs> I think it's roughly around the time he tells her, like, life, I- life is pain. Anyone who tells you otherwise is trying to sell you something. I remember that the farm boy. That shit is boy. deep. Yeah. I had to pause on that. I was like, damn, man. Bring in all the heavy hitters. I had to take, <laughs> I had to take a walk after that one. <laughs> I was like, shit, man. This guy, he's an abusive fuck, but he's got some wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> so he like goes on to say, like, yeah, yeah, I remember him. Uh, he died well. He said, please. Or no, he's like. He said, please. <laughs> well, no, he did. He's like, please, I need to live, he said. Twas the please that caught my memory. What was so important, I asked him. He said, true love. Bless me for destroying him before he found what you really are, princess. And Buttercup's like, don't you ever say anything like that to me again. I died the day that he did. And this is when he pushes the fucking stranger down a giant goddamn... <laughs> yeah. And he's like, ah. Yeah, just, <laughs> as you wish, while tumbling down the hill. Is that what he said? I thought yeah, she just recognized his scream. No, he says, <laughs> as you and she's like, oh my god, Wesley, my love! And she just fucking tumbles down <laughs> after him. That's a great scene. So he, here's my question. She figures out that this is Wesley, right? Yeah. E, to you, did you know it was Wesley? Yeah. I, As soon as he climbed up the cliff, I was like, that's Wesley. Okay, because you have face blindness, and like he was wearing a mask. Why did you, you haven't know it was figured him? out the secret yet, Jiraiya? He only doesn't <laughs> recognize the faces when he doesn't give a fuck about the movie. He's not going <laughs> to store that extra information. He's not going to bother to learn the That's faces fair. to a piece of shit movie. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> okay, to actually answer Jiraiya, it's because while I couldn't, re- I didn't even recognize his face after, anyways. <laughs> but I know the trope. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's it was kind of obvious that's where they were going with this, like. Oh yeah, no, she's got. She found the dreaded pirate Robert man, and he sure is so scary. I don't know. It killed one trope already with the love story part. So I don't know. Still a love story, I guess. Yeah. I like though that at some point it was like that's him. I recognize that trope anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. I was like, oh yeah, that's gonna be him. That's how this trope works. (laughs) Well, after I was like, oh cool, it's Zorro. So they roll down the hill, and there's probably some making out or something. I don't really remember. <laughs> and um, well, I want to say this is one of the parts where I was like, "You're just the kid," because I was like, "Ew!" And then the kid comes, "Ew!" Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That part happens. Uh, Fred Savage, he's like, "Gross, kissing." Princess Buttercup and Wesley are walking, walking, walking. They do walk for a bit. I'll and give you that. I think Prince Humperdinck and his gang of folks, they're like all up on the hill or something. And they're like, yo, what's up? Humperdinck and his gang just kind of see uh, Wesley and Buttercup. <laughs> and they see where they're going. He's like, they're going into the fire swamp, or fire forest, or forest no, fire. No, fire swamp. Yeah, it, yeah it's, it's a fire swamp. swamp. I remember because it's, like, it's a cool name. And he's like, we better not follow him. Let's go around it and catch them on the other side. So they're like, 
going to the fire swamp or whatever. And <laughs> she's like, oh, is it safe? No one, no one ever comes out alive or something like that. And he's like, uh, no, it's fine. You're only saying that because no one ever has. And Which is a good line. <laughs> yeah. It is a good line. Um, I think one of my favorite lines is coming up. But they go into the spooky forest, fire swamp thing, <laughs> and they look around, and Wesley's like, hmm, it's not that bad. <laughs> and she looks, she looks at him like, fuck, what the fuck are you talking about? Basically, <laughs> like, I wouldn't want to build a summer home here, but I mean, you know, trees are quite nice. <laughs> Which I agree with. I'd live there. So <laughs> you deal with the chance of just setting on fire at any moment. Yeah, but rent would be cheap. I don't know. I feel like that's a luxury spot. They charge you more, probably. <laughs> just like build like a tree house or something. <laughs> None of us are going to build our own fucking tree house in the swamp. I are, I know all of us enough to know that none of us <laughs> is going to fucking do that. We might say it and like point to good trees and then we'll be like, yeah, this isn't, this isn't really worth my time. <laughs> and then the fire comes and that really sets a damper. <laughs> Me... I can already say, me and Jiraiya would have burnt our fucking faces off. Because we're like, is that fire? Yeah, I don't know. We should get closer. How hot is that, do you think? I don't know. We should find out for sure. And then at some point, <laughs> we wouldn't have faces. Yeah, yeah, that would be pretty quick with no faces. Anyway, he's like, yeah, the trees are nice. Um, they're walking. And there's fire that comes out of the ground. And it catches her dress on fire. And she's like, ah! He like saves her and like puts the fire out with on the dress. Her dress. <laughs> Just rubs the dress on the dress. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, you're smothering the flame, I guess. It probably works. They keep going through that and he's like carrying her from side to side to avoid the the flames coming out of the ground. He's like uh yeah, he's explaining um that obviously He's not the Dread Pirate Roberts. He's not the Dread Pirate Roberts. He's just the be- Dread Pirate Roberts. Yeah, he just he just met him, which turns out to not actually have been him. He's like, um, he said he's going to kill me the next day. And he didn't. And then the next day, and it never came. And it went on for the, like that for like three years or something like that. And turns out he wasn't the Dread Pirate Roberts. So the Dread Pirate Roberts is actually just a title, basically, is what you learned. Yeah. It's passed on after they retire. Basically, yeah, but yeah. it's passed it's passed on in secret. So everyone yeah. else thinks there's one Dread Pirate Roberts. That's immortal. So that, that's that's a hidden only you have to be on the end, which is like what, four four people? Or five. Like Captain America, he just gives the shield to another person. And it's not, it's just nobody ever knows that it's different, except for in the newer ones, where the new Captain America isn't white anymore. So I feel like that would be a pretty good hint. I'm actually very glad Captain America doesn't exist, because people would be stupid about that. Like, you'd have, like, fragile fragile white people who are like upset and then you'd have like the denialists and then the people who are like over supportive and everyone would not shut the fuck up about it i'm pretty sure I that mean, 
it exists anyway, even though he's not real. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, probably. But if, 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 if he was real, then I would have to be like, oh my god, there's a superhero, so I'd have to follow. I don't have to follow the movies, so if people complain about those. I, oh, I yeah, okay, okay yeah, that. in real life, yeah. I mean, that's a joke that I was going to make, though, is like, Eventually, someone would be like, wasn't Captain America white? Oh, so Captain America can't be black now? No, I'm just saying he used to be white. Oh, so he, he can't be black then? You're saying that black people aren't allowed to be Captain America? No, I'm not saying that. There there will be, there 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 would be awful people on both sides. And they'd be like, nobody cares. It's just Captain America. That's that's the new Captain America. And Listen, he just saved children from a burning building. Like, we should just be happy about that. He literally no throws a shield at giant aliens and they die. Like, shut the fuck He's up. He's fucking yeah. saving your life, sir. <laughs> yeah, and then other people are like, why does he have to be black, though? Yeah. I mean, look, it's not racist. It's just historically that wasn't the word of the world. <laughs> And then I would at least at some point I'd have to tweet to Captain America. I'd be like, "Some countries are just not worth saving, Captain. You gotta let us go." <laughs> and and that's a trailer for Captain America Four: The Race War. Oh, God. <laughs> too far. Too far. Honestly, actually, like with Captain America's lore, that kind of is probably something that should be brought up because it was kind of during that time. Yeah, honestly, mm-hmm. that would probably make a good Captain America story. Too bad people are just not ready for racism. Oh, I think they're way more than ready for racism. <laughs> I think they've been on board for racism since like day fucking one. Yeah, well, America's just not ready that, for that. The, the, the race game unlocked. Disney's just not ready for the pitchforks and the torches. That's it. That's it. That's why. Uh, keep going. The thing we're doing with the movie. I think that's what this podcast yeah. is about. Yeah, so the Captain Dread Robert Man is just a title that gets passed on after the last one retires. And the current one is Wesley. Yeah, and he like starts saying, like, but now that I've found you, I'll retire and hand it off to somebody else. Um, yeah, I think that conversation actually goes on for a while. And they're just walking along through the forest and stuff. There's like a sand pit or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she falls into it. This proves that he has some kind of hero in his heart. Because if that shit happened to me, it doesn't really matter who. They're just gone. They're not sinking. They're just <laughs> gone. Like, so quickly that trauma can't even set it. I'd be like, well, I guess... I guess they're fucking dead now. <laughs> that's, that's it. I don't know. I don't know how I would like. I don't think I could react to that. I think I'd stare at sand for like twenty fucking minutes trying to process. There was a person on this sand. I really hope it's a fucking teleporter because I know I've waited too long. <laughs> they, if it's not a teleporter. They're definitely dead. They're like way dead right now. I really hope that just leads to the beach. I'm just going to leave this here and just leave it to the imagination. (laughs) All right. She falls into this like quicksand stuff. And he's like, ah, shit. And he jumps in (laughs) to save her. And you see in the background a rodent of... An unusual size. Which, fun fact, by the way, a rodent of unusual size is mentioned in a ton of stupid geek video games. As like, you need to go <laughs> kill the rodent 
of unusual size, which is a direct reference to this. It's in Borderlands 1 and 2. It's in Warcraft, and it's in a bunch of dumb RPGs. Like, hmm. it's just a reference that's out there because reference. fucking people love Princess Bride. Yeah, this movie is nerdy as shit. Oh, yeah. Anyway. So he starts cutting off limbs, and he ties one uh, like a vine around him, and he dives into the sand pit after her, and he's in there for a while, and you just, like, see this rodent of unusual size walk by, kind of stare at the pit, and then keep walking. And then he comes out holding on to Buttercup out of the sand. They're, like, gasping for air. She starts coughing into the sand. <laughs> yeah. Which I always, like, didn't like that that scene as a kid because it just makes me uncomfortable. It's just, <laughs> ah, it just seems awful. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> like if you just, like, went on the beach and started rolling in the sand. Yeah, and, like, inhaling the sand. And, like, it's just everywhere. Sand is everywhere. Until I was, like, like 13, this movie gave me a legitimate fear of falling into quicksand at the sand dunes. <laughs> they get out of the sand thingy, the quicksand, after he saves her. And they're gasping for air. Uh, They get up. Uh, Masked Man, Wesley, I guess I can call him now, finally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he looks over and notices the rodent of unusual size. Uh, and then she's like, oh, that's awful. And he's like, ah, oh, there's there's only like three things to worry about in this place. The fire, the lightning sand, and rodents of unusual size. But I don't even think those exist. And then immediately gets attacked by one. Yeah, and it's actually kind of a really fucking brutal fight with this giant rat. Oh, yeah. Like, they're wrestling around for a while, beating it up, punching it, kicking it. He's trying to get to his sword all the time. Buttercup, like, hits the fucking rat with a branch. She just pokes it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, eventually, Wesley's wrestling with this rat, and he finally rolls over. He hears the little clicks from the uh, firebursts that come out of the ground. So he rolls over, finds his way to that, puts the fucking rat on fire after the rat's been chewing on his arm and his side for a little bit, which you see all the blood and stuff from that. It's kind of, it's honestly brutal. It's kind of, yeah. a br- for a PG movie, it's a little brutal. And he gets up, gets his sword, and just starts fucking stabbing at the gut of this goddamn rat. And then they, like, win the fight. And they start getting the out of The rat screams. Yes, the rat, a horrible, wretched sound. All right, I think they just kind of walk out of the forest at this point, basically. Or the fire light, like, fire swamp. There you go. The land. And they walk out and, oh, shit, it's Prince Cumberdunk, Cumberdick, Dinkle, Cumber, Cumber Dick, Cumber Dick. That would have been a fucking Cumber amazing Dump? scene if they couldn't get the name right. Actually, yeah, I think that would have made it pretty. Good. I don't think he could have kept the rating if that was his name. Humperdink is his name. Humperdink. Um, so they get confronted. Uh, naturally, Prince Cumberland wants to get his, um. Princess Bride back, um, and uh, the guy who is the masked man, I can't remember his name, was it Dexter? Wesley. Really bad for me. <laughs> it's Wesley. Dexter. Les- Dexter is a very Les- white name, I don't Wesley? blame you. Not even the same actor. Wesley? Yeah. Wesley. Or Wesley. Okay, cool. Yeah. There's no so, yeah, it's so, Wes- there's, so there's Wesley Snipes, right? He's standing there saying he'd rather die than uh, give up. And at this time, the Princess Bride, she's noticing that crossbow men are surrounding, uh, but the 
the guy, uh, Wesley, is super into his own spiel, so he's giving the whole shebang. We're not, this is it, this is it. We're all going to fucking die right here, and (laughs) (laughs) we're doing this right now. And obviously, Prince Cumberbatch doesn't care because he has the whole army. Uh, Princess Bride totally cares. Wesley is just fucking, right now, this is going down. He's, he's kind of like the dude who's about to get everyone else in them shit, and the more he elaborates, everyone else just doesn't want it. It's just, <laughs> he was extremely ride or die for the moment, and no one else was. Uh, and so essentially, the Princess Bride says, look, listen, I do not want you to kill this man, so I will give myself... I'll turn myself in, uh, but you can't kill him. Uh, is that okay? And the prince is like, oh, f- fucking for you? Yeah, man. Oh, shit, you're my bro. <laughs> and so <laughs> she's like, look, that's cool. You cool with it, Wesley? And Wesley's still like, no, fucking, I'm still right now. I want die together forever. And she's right? like, yeah, and she's like, throw him on the that. boat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's like, okay, well, how can we handle him? Bring him back to his pirate ship. And the Prince is like fucking pirate ships now. Cool, I can totally bring that <laughs> Actually, back. Yeah, to the like ship. imagine just hearing that because the prince doesn't know who this guy is. Yeah, it's just like, can you put him back on a pirate ship? It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, he's like, doesn't surprise me. Pirate ship it is. And then he goes to his guys like, look, you've been my main man forever. I don't want him on a pirate ship. I want him in the in the hole of eternal darkness. And the guys like, I can do the hole of eternal darkness. You have my word. As much as you, he had her, her word. That's how much word you have of mine. And the guy's like totally following you. And so that happens. Wesley noticed the guy has uh, six fingers. Yeah, yeah, because they 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 talk in a clearing for a second, don't they? Like after everyone splits up. Yeah. That guy. Oh yeah. Um, the princess was like, the princess was like, ah, oh, don't kill him. And then the prince was like, yeah, totally, we won't. And then, like, a few seconds later, he whispers to his person, like, yeah, fucking kill him now, as soon as we leave. And um, then they have this conversation, Wesley and the six-fingered man, I don't know his name. It says it somewhere, but uh, they have the conversation, and he's like, ah, you have six fingers. I don't know if he actually says it, does he? He does. He does. Oh, yeah, he's like, oh, six fingers. And he's like, oh, you're, uh, let's be real. We're both men here, and it doesn't suit us to be lying to each other, does it? We're both men of action here. Yes. Lying doesn't suit us. I know a man who's looking for you, and then he hits him with the palm of his sword on top of his head and knocks him out. Yep. Next scene. Pale monk guy. This is my favorite character in the movie, uh, except for the Spaniard. The Spaniard would probably be my second favorite, because the Spaniard is awesome. Um, so yeah, this guy, this guy is coming up. He's a creepy-looking monk dude. He has something on his face. It could be a birthmark. It could be his last meal. You don't really know. Um, but he's going down into the depths of this dungeon where uh, Wes- Wesley is uh, chained up. Yeah, but what I really liked about that scene when he's cleaning up the blood is the way he looks when he's cleaning it up. Like, he really just is really into this. His, his tongue kind of comes out of his mouth a little bit, and he's like, yes, this is... This is probably how he speaks in his head while he's doing this. This is really, this is really what I like about this. <laughs> and <laughs> so he's he's cleaning up this mess of a man. The man wakes up. 
and I'll let someone else take it from there. I just really wanted to describe this monk man. So as he's cleaning up this blood, uh, eventually Wesley does wake up from what's happening, and he asks where he is, and that's whenever the man, uh, albino man, tells him that um, you are in the oh, what was it called? Dun- Dungeon of Despair. Yeah, dun- the Pit of Despair. You are in the Pit of Despair. <clears throat> Welcome. <laughs> kind of thing, and like just clears his voice, and then he just speaks normally for the rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, oh, like if I'm in the pit of despair, why am I? Uh, why are you cleaning my wound? Just like, oh, well, before they go through the before they go through the machine, I think that's all they call is just a machine, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, we want to make sure that they're health, uh, that the person is healthy and up to snuff before they actually go through it. So it's torture, then. Yes, yes, it is. Nobody survives the machine. So they're back in the castle. Buttercup is very upset, and you see her walking by. And Humperdinck is like, she's very upset about my father's failing health. It's upsetting her quite a bit. And then you hear voiceover, the king died that very night, and Humperdinck and Buttercup were to get married the very next day. And the kid interrupts, and he's like, well, wait, 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 what do you, what do you mean? You're telling it wrong. This isn't how this story goes. Like, this isn't how it's supposed to happen. She's supposed to end up with Wesley. Well, I don't know. I'm just, I'm telling the story. I'm reading it here, and then I'm telling you the story. He's like, no, no, you're telling the story wrong. Tell it right, or else I don't want to listen. And the grandpa's like, listen here, you little shit. You want me to read this shit or no? <laughs> yeah, basically. At the end, it is roughly around the time that he says, uh, the grandpa says, like, well, you seem a bit upset about this. Like, maybe we can read the rest of this tomorrow. He's like, no, no, no. It's, uh, uh, it's okay. You can, you can finish it. It'll, I'll, be, I'll be better. <laughs> it's like okay where were we yeah and then uh it shows the marriage that day and they're having a marriage and like before in the movie when she's walking down the carpet she's doing the same thing and everyone bows except for one person she's like boo 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 your true love lives and you marry another boo i don't want to be your follower boo don't bow down to this slime queen boo there's a goat there too it's crazy and then she wakes up and oh my god it was a nightmare and voiceover says the wedding was still 10 days away and she goes to humperdink like right away and she's like just i want you to know if you tell me that i have to marry you in 10 days then i just have to tell you that i'm gonna kill myself tonight so fucking you know your choice you figure it out and he's like wait whoa 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 no don't kill yourself um and he like goes over trying to convince her he's like you know what since you clearly like this pirate dude or whatever the fuck what if you write four letters that are exactly the same? I'll get four of my fastest ships, send them all off in the four directions, and whoever meets up with your uh, pirate guy, they'll give him the letter, and then he'll rush back right away, which I'm sure if he loves you as much as he says he loves you, then there'll be no problem. And then the only deal is if I do this and he doesn't show up, uh, you gotta marry me. So... Maybe don't kill yourself. Yeah, don't kill yourself. Just give me that for now. She's like... Okay, fine. I'll wait ten days. Yeah. I know Mr. Wes is gonna be cool. Yeah, like my true love will always come for me. And then we co- cut over to the Six Finger Man, and this is when he starts torturing finally Wesley, and he is attached up to uh, this nipple sucking machine, which I can't argue with. There's two suction cups right on the guy's nipples. One well, in his mouth, and then two on his gut. I know a sex machine when I see one. I don't know much, but I know kinky shit. <laughs> I didn't expect in that voice kink- to come out. That was a good voice. Actually. In your kinkiest <laughs> voice I've ever heard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so this machine is weird. And the uh, six-finger man's like, you know how suction cups work? 
this somehow works the same. Yeah. Except with life. Instead of water and shit. Like, I just take your life, which is normal. And totally understandable. If, if yeah. Wesley was the weird caped hero that I thought he was. He'd be like, this is like F-grade fucking kinky shit, man. Of course I know what fucking suction cups, cups do. <laughs> <laughs> fucking asshole. <laughs> you cheap-ass sex they, dungeon. They make that whole trope of like, oh, since this is our, your first time trying the machine, we'll go ahead and put on the lowest setting. And he puts it on the one setting and tries the machine and starts torturing him. This machine sucks the life out of you. And you just lost one year of your life. How does that feel? Uh, yes, and imagine, maybe later down the line, we'll put it to five. I'm not sure what that will do to you, but we're going to do it at some point. Yeah. And then it cuts over to Humperdink, and he's looking at a bunch of paperwork on his table, which, like, what kind of paperwork needs to be done in this day and age? Like, what? who's filing shit? Uh, I mean, apparently there are maps, and also they're potentially going to war with another state. Okay, yeah. here comes E with the serious answer. Fucking, fuck me, right? <laughs> Potential war is straight up conspiracy theory, though, because it hasn't happened yet. That's a conspiracy that they're planning. Yeah, he still needs to set that up. That was something we kind of know. skipped over at some conversation, I by the way. Is... We did talk about it a little bit earlier, because like the whole with the pirates kidnapping the princess, so that way it would start a war with this uh, rivaled nation. But like we learned that Humperdinck actually hired um, Ben Benizzi, Fedeli, Fedeli, That's Vizzini. So Fizzini. So Humperdinck straight up hired Fizzini to go and kidnap the princess and then kill her. It's like he literally started setting this up as like even though he's like I'm a married commoner. The only reason he did that is so he could straight up start a war because that failed. What he was gonna do is he was gonna marry her and then he was gonna strangle her that night and then say that uh say that she was killed by the rival nation and then start the war since uh, her being kidnapped didn't work out. And he told one of his guardsmen that he needs to start clearing out the thieves' force because he heard a rumor that uh, someone was going to try and assassinate her, and he needs to clear out the forest so that way no one tries anything on their wedding night. And his guard is like, oh, well, I didn't hear anything about that. And he's like, well, I definitely heard something about that. He's like, my spies didn't report it. And he's like, well, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely a thing, and I need you to clear out the forest so it doesn't happen. Like, Your spies are shit. Yeah. Super thing, bro. Yeah. And he's like, well, that's going to take some time. It's not going to be easy. And he's like, oh, you should try being king. Said your brood men. What are, what are they, what are they What are they called? I don't even remember. I don't remember. Yeah. He's like, send your whatever men. And so then we cut over to a scene of a village just getting fucking ransacked by a bunch of soldiers. So when, when you see the village getting ransacked, we hear guards being like, is everyone out? Did you get everybody? He's like, almost. And then it cuts over to Inigo. Well, first and, he's like, there's a Spaniard. Oh, yeah, there's a Spaniard. And then it cuts over to Inigo. And he is just leaning against a house, super fucking drunk. And he's like, there it is, Vicini. I'm here. I'm at the beginning of everything, just like you said I should be. I'm right at the start. I'm drunk. I don't have anywhere to go. I'm right where you said. And then a guard comes up. And he's like, hey, man, you, uh, you got to get out of here. And he's like, you got to get out of here. You, I'm right where you said I was supposed to be. Like, I'm, I'm here, and like, no one's going to take me away. I'm where I, I got to be. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to get you out of here. He goes over to pick Diego up. And Inigo just starts, like, half-fighting him, like, drunken lazily with one hand, because he's just that fucking good. Yeah. I mean, a, a drunk brother with a sword is pretty scary anyways. That's true. <laughs> and then the guy is, like, about to really go at Inigo, and Fezzik just fucking punches the dude. Comes out of nowhere, punches the guard, and picks Inigo up. Then it's like, 
oh, come on, come here with me, my little buddy. I'll take care of you. And then you hear Vio like, Fezzik took great care uh, in reviving Inigo. And it just shows him like feeding him stew and dunking him in hot and cold bottle, uh, barrels of water. Yeah. Well, first it was like he fed him the stew, and that's whenever he, he just starts like saying what's happened with the plot so far. Like, Zini's dead, so we, we can't go back to him. But Wes- or Wesley is still alive, and I think like somehow he knows that like the plot that's happening and that he's been kidnapped or something. Stupid yeah, like that. he knows everything. He's yeah. like, the, sh- the man in black has been kidnapped, and I don't know where he is, and the prince is getting married. Uh, what are we going to do? Yeah. <laughs> like, we need a plan. And he's like, don't worry. I know how to sober you up. And that's when he starts dunking his head in hot and cold water until yeah. he finally sobers up. <laughs> and then for some reason, Fezzik just knows, like, how many guards the castle has. Like, it's guarded by 30 Well, I thought men. they said that Fezzik was, like, as one of the brutesmen. Oh, was that it? I thought that's what they he say, said. They do I, say that later, I think. Okay. No, I thought they, like, when the guy came, he's like, there's my brutesman to pick you up. And then... Uh, oh, Andre the Giant okay. punches the shit out of him. Okay. Okay. I thought no, that's I thought... what happened. But yeah, that's how he knows but shit. Diego uh, finally sobers up. I think he even reveals to him, like, oh, yeah, like, the six-fingered man is actually working for the king. Yes. And that's whenever Diego is just like, I'm in. I'm totally in. It's like, we got to find a way to, uh, we have to find Wesley. First, he's like, how many people are there? He's like, um, from my count, there are roughly 30 guards. He's like, I can take 10 by myself. And he's like, that leaves me with, uh... 20. Even on my best days, I can't take out 20 men. We need to find something else. Oh, yeah. And they, or they said, the black man, where is he? He's like, well, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, not only did he best me in swordsman, he bested your strength, and he bested Vizzini's smarts. So if anyone could come up with a strategy, it would be him. Because I can't come up with the strategy, and you can't come up with the strategy, so we need someone else to come up with the strategy. So they're like, we gotta find the masked man. Yeah, and he's like, well, how are we ever supposed to find out where he is? And he's like, don't bother me with trifles or something like that. Yeah, and he's like, after 20 years, the ma- I no- finally know where the man who killed my father is. N- and since I know where he is, there is nothing that is going to get in my way from stopping him. And then it cuts over to Humperdinck, and Humperdinck says, like, tonight we marry. And I guess 10 days have passed or something? I don't really yeah, know. Yeah, apparently. Sometime. Yeah, I mean, it would yeah. take a while to get all the thieves out of the thieves' forest. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> It's like a random logistic, though, that has, like, <laughs> like oh, of course, so many thieves, it totally makes sense. It would be a real pain in the ass. Yeah, it's like... Get all those thieves out of the thieves' force. They said there was, like, what, like, 40 thieves in there? That's, like, 10 days right there. That's four a day. That's pretty... That's pretty... <laughs> the whole thing with, um, Pazzini, Andre the Giant, and, um, Inigo. 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 Montoya. Inigo Montoya. <laughs> Inigo, Inigo, <laughs> I can't fucking pronounce it. Um, that happens, and he's like, "Ah, we need the man of black." Blah blah blah. He says there will be blood, and then it goes to the um, the scene with the prince, and he's like, "Oh, we gotta double, pump those numbers up, double those numbers of our troops or whatever." So then. The princess is there, uh, Prince Buttercup. Get all the ships. I want a giant ceremony. And Buttercup's like, except for the four ships that you sent out to get Wesley, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, no, of course. I sent those out. I won't lie to you. I sent those out. Of course I sent those out. She's like, you didn't send those out. He's like, no, I didn't send those out. Whatever. I think Wesley's going to come for me anyway. Well, my favorite thing is like, he, she, he's totally in the right for not being like, 
oh, those four ships, that, or all the ships, except those four I sent out, of course. Like, why would you ever say that? Yeah. Like, like... <laughs> I don't know. Like, well, I know why she questioned him, because plot, <laughs> but, like, that's such a weird, like, specific to be like, um, excuse me, what about the other four? Right, yeah. Um, and she's like, ah, oh, our love is the strongest love that has ever loved, and, um, he's like, no! <laughs> Fuck you, bitch! And then, <laughs> and then he, <laughs> and then he puts her in her room, locks her in there. I don't know. Yeah. And Prince Humperdinck uh, goes to visit Wesley, and he fucking cranks that thing up to fifty. And you just hear <laughs> Wesley scream, and everybody in the kingdom hears him scream. Uh, Literally everybody uh, from yeah. miles upon miles away. And Inigo yeah. hears, and he's like. I know that scream from anywhere. I know that pain. I felt that pain once. And that's whenever they start following said scream. Oh, and then also Humperdinck, uh, whenever he's doing that torturing to uh, Wesley, he's like, you two truly love each other, so you might have been truly happy. Too bad I'm a dick. <laughs> Unfortunately, I gotta kill you. And then so he dies. Yeah. He loses 50 years, I guess. <laughs> I think that's how that works. <laughs> But since he suffered like a man, or no man has ever suffered before, it just kills him. Yeah. And then uh, Inigo and Fezzik are wandering in the forest, and they find the uh, albino, Rocky's favorite character. And they're like, hey, 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 where is Wesley? We know you know where he's at. He's like, oh, I have no idea, honestly. And Inigo's like, Fezzik, jog his memory. And Fezzik hits him on the top of the head and knocks the albino out. He's like, I think I jogged his memory too hard. <laughs> And then that's whenever Diego, uh pulls out his sword and he gets on his knees and he says that he's wanted revenge for 20 years and he's so close right now and he, uh, he wishes that his father would guide his sword to show him where Wesley is. And he kind of just, blind, like with his eyes closed, starts following his sword in whichever direction it's going to send him. And it stops on a tree. And since it stops on just some random tree, he uh, kind of has like a moment of like, well, that didn't work and like kind of rests his head against the tree. And a door opens on this yeah. tree, which the man with six fingers actually even said at one point in time whenever they were opening it up earlier in the movie, like, man, I can never remember what notch it is to open up this damn door. Yeah. <laughs> and he just finds it on his first try. That's whenever they go down into the pit of despair. They find Wesley, who is dead. As they're down there, they're like, it's like, no, this can't be the end. Like, I think even at that point, it does cut the movie back to the grand uh, grandfather and the grandson. He's like, yeah. Like, what do you mean he's dead? Yeah. He's like, Wesley can't be dead? Who kills the king then? Yeah. And the grandpa's like, listen, dude, this is a fucking story in a book. You are sick. You're taking this too seriously. Like, fucking chill out. I'm going home. And he's like, no. Cut it out. <laughs> oh, you all get that reference. Cuts back to the story because the kid's like, no, no, it's fine. We're good. And Diego says that Montoya's have never taken defeat easily. And tells Fezzik to bring the body. We're going to a miracle worker. Well, he, uh, I remember him oh, saying, yeah, 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 he asks, like, how much money do you have? And uh, it's like, I don't have a lot. It's like, hopefully it's enough for a miracle. And so they go to a miracle man. And they're talking to him outside. I'm, I'm going to kind of yada yada this part a lot because I feel like it's all jokes here for the most part. Pretty much. And you should definitely watch this part on your own if you're at all interested at this point. Or YouTube it. You can definitely find this scene online. But I'm going to yada yada a lot of this part because it's basically back and forth jokes a bit. So they get to the miracle worker and finally, after a lot of talking, convince him that like, okay, let me inside. I'll uh, look at this man. 
and they lay it down. There's a lot of yada yada, a lot of one-liners, a lot of jokes that are going back and forth. And like during the scene, I kept on like looking at this character and I was like, why do I recognize that voice? And Dry would not tell me like who this person was for the longest time. I had to Google. Yeah, it tells you at the end. Not if you can't read. <laughs> that's a different problem then. <laughs> that's a different conversation. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's very insensitive. You know I never learned how to read. Yeah, that's... And you're a machinist. You should definitely know how to read. Listen, I can do math. I can't read. Those are two very separate skills that people need to learn. I learn the math, and I skip the reading, okay? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So they put the body on the table, and the miracle worker raises one of Wesley's hands up, drops it, and he's like, eh, I've seen worse. And he goes on, he's like, turns out your friend is mostly dead. Mostly dead? I thought he was dead. He's like, no, no, there's a difference between mostly dead and dead, and uh, all dead. Your friend's just mostly dead. Wife comes in, starts like, scolding him basically in a way that like an old jewish mother would scold uh if you know that stereotype boy uh, hey. uh miracle worker finally only agrees to heal wesley once they say that wesley is the key to going and stopping and humiliating humperdink he's like i hate humperdink i used to work for him fuck this guy so they make him a pill and they cover it in a bunch of chocolate chocolate like yeah helps the medicine go down give him the thing they say but wait 15 minutes uh and don't swim afterwards for an hour so they all three go on their way. They get to the castle, and Diego is like, I don't know if this is going to work. Uh, and he, like, bites a piece of it off. I've never understood this part. I think he's just, like, opening I think just, it. Is that the thing? Because he, like, bites it and then puts it in Wesley's mouth. I didn't notice that. He goes, like, Yeah, like, that I, part's always been really weird to me. I think it's just him opening it because it's medicine. I guess, yeah, that's true. I don't know, it's not that important. No, it's just weird. I always, <laughs> yeah. as, as a kid, I thought it was weird, too. Anyway, they give the medicine to Wesley, and he wakes up. And they're like, I don't know how long this is going to take. And he wakes up instantly, and he starts saying, like, who the fuck are you? Get away from me! But he can't move. And so he's like, oh, wait, keep, t- take it easy. You've been mostly dead all day. Start going on, like, about what they're doing, what their plan is, and that they need to go and get Humperdink, and the princess is in there. And he goes, like, okay, okay, let me explain. No, no, too long. Let me sum up. <laughs> I think it's a good line also. It's, yeah. it's, it might be my favorite line of the movie. That's a high bar, too. And then they're going on. They're like, oh, I don't know. We don't really have anything. We can't really raid the castle. It's a lot of men. Like, if I were healthy, it might. It, we may be able to do it. But even then, he's like, it's just you, me. Maybe if we had a wheelbarrow. Oh, there's a wheelbarrow right over there. Like, Why didn't you tell me that was in our assets? Oh, okay. So we have a wheelbarrow. If only we had a hollow cloak. Like, oh, where would we get one? Yeah, I have no idea where we would get those. And then Fezzik just pulls one out of his shirt, and he's like, Great. I have one. He's like, where'd you get that? He's like, it was at the miracle worker's house, and I really liked it and said it was nice, so he said I could have it. Yeah. Apparently it fit me, too, so he said I could have it. Yeah, it's like, fucking okay. <laughs> Which, to be fair, like, this is all just like him, a... no one's going to buy that. That's true, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, it's one of those very much like, oh, this is all just a bunch of plot convenience <laughs> yeah, happening yeah, all right. at once. <laughs> to be fair, the wheelbarrow did happen earlier. Because that was the albino's wheelbarrow, they said. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So, later that night, they put the cloak on Fezzik. Um, they say they do. They they say they do. A little oopsie-doopsie here. In the shots of this, like, straight-on shot of Fezzik, you can very clearly see it's a mannequin under the cloak <laughs> when they put it on fire. Like, they well, didn't bother anything. Before this, though, uh, I think after that, they're like, okay, well, we have a plan. And then it doesn't it cut to the wedding ceremony? Yeah, it cuts to the wedding ceremony yeah. first. And then outside, you see all the cloak stuff. It cuts back and forth through the wedding and what they're doing uh, throughout this whole thing. So. Yeah. yeah, but 
but there's that and then when that happens outside it shows the 60 men all waiting and then they keep on hearing like a a sound coming and then like they see just a black cloak come up over the gate and then it just like cuts to on our uh, fezic with like the hood on so it just like shows him really close yeah you get like a actually... close-up shot of his head of fezic in it and then when it's on the wide shots it's so insanely obvious that it's a mannequin. Yeah. They didn't fucking bother. They didn't reshoot. They didn't do any pickups. Like, it was just like, fuck it. It's like, fuck it. No one's going to care. Like, <laughs> just, just keep going. No one, no one cares. No one cares. Just fucking go with the shot. And while it, they light him on fire and they, everyone's like, it's the Dread Pirate Roberts. Oh, my God. He's come to kill us all. Like, I am the Dread Pirate Roberts. Come to kill you all. Definitely. And everyone runs away. And then they make their way to this gate where the main guard guy is. And they demand the guard give him the gate key. He's like, what gate key? Or he's like, I'll make Fezzik tear your arms off. He's like, oh, you mean this gate key? <laughs> <laughs> and inside uh, with the ceremony, the king, uh, Humberdink. Close enough. King Humberdink is like, speed it up, man. Come on, come on, come on. Just get to the man and wife part. Man, man and, and wife. wife. Good <laughs> enough. And then like... <laughs> And then just like takes, or, like grabs her and just like starts running upstairs with and her. My favorite, she's like, "He didn't save me." She <laughs> yeah. just gave up right I there. I guess that's it. Yeah. This ramshock buckshot. This <laughs> ramshackle. Ramshackled wedding. Man, I can't believe that he didn't interrupt in the thirty seconds we did this wedding for. <laughs> and then it cuts to uh, the three Wesley, Fezzik, and Diego wandering through the castle and. And they find the six finger man. They do this like weird fight thing with a bunch of these random guards. And Diego takes them out handily. Yeah, yeah Wesley is still like yes, just ba- basically being ragdoll dragged by Fezzik. <laughs> yeah, it's a great example of really, really great physical humor. Yeah, because Wesley just looks like he's done- gone completely limp. Like the guy who yeah. plays him, Carrie Elways, he just fucking gave up. And Can't he's like done. hold his head up. Yeah, and he's just being dragged by this giant. <laughs> so it's 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 great. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like the. When they go up uh, to find the six-fingered man, he's with three different guards, and Inigo just instantly kills all three guards. Very like, impressively. Yeah, in like a matter of like five seconds. And then looks at the six-fingered man, points a sword at him, and says, My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. The six-fingered man looks at him and just runs the other direction. Yeah. <laughs> like, full speed just runs away from him. Which is like, I love that scene, because that's what everybody would actually do in yeah. real life. Like, they're like... I'm not going to fight this guy. I can leave. This guy yeah. just killed like yeah, seven people. Yeah, he just killed people. three people in the blink of an eye. I'm not going to fight him. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Especially because like that dramatic point has been built up through the whole movie. Oh, yeah. And in a normal movie, you would expect like this is the big climax now. Yeah, you expect epic music with both of them like pulling, are pulling their swords out. And there's like a stare off for a second. And at the climax of the music, they just start fighting. <laughs> but no, he just fucking bails. Yeah, he just <laughs> runs full speed down the hall and Diego just chases after him. And then ends up closing a door, and then Inigo tries, like, shouldering the door to open it up, and it's just not opening. So he goes to Fezzik, and he's just, Fezzik, I can't open this door! He's like, okay, uh, what do I do with Wesley? Just, just put him down! And he just, like, leans him up against the side of a, <laughs> of a suit of armor that's sitting there. Yes. Like, all right, I'm coming. He just, like, kind of waddles over there, and, like, I don't really want to help, but he asked, so I'm going to help him kind of mentality. Yeah. And, like, as he's, like, ramming into this door with, like, all of his might, he just kind of, like, walks up, pushes the door down, and then walks back over to Wesley. Yeah. And he goes, like, thank you. And just yeah. keeps running. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Fezzik returns to get Wesley, and Wesley is gone at this point, and Yego is still chasing the Six-Finger Man. Um, on the staircase, you see the Six-Finger Man pull out this little dagger and then run down the stairs, and Yego goes after him. When Inigo gets down the stairs, the Six-Finger Man throws the dagger, hits Inigo right in the gut, and wounding him, he, like, holds it. He's like, oh, I'm dying. I'm dying. He's like, I'm sorry. I failed you, father. And then the Six-Finger Man recognizes him. He's like, ah, oh, yes, I remember you and your father. He's like, how sad is it that after all these years and all the times you've been chasing me, your whole life leads to this, only to fail now. Before that, uh, before the whole dagger scene, there was a, a scene where Buttercup was walking down the hallway with, I guess, the king and the queen. <laughs> oh, yeah. And she's like, you've always been so kind to me. And kisses him on the cheek or something. And yeah. he was like, uh, what did she say? No, he was like, oh, what was that for? She's like, you've always been so kind to me. And I just wanted to say goodbye before I killed myself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, she killed that's me. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> she finally kissed me. Totally yeah. ignoring what she just told him. Yeah. So the six finger man actually have his name down. It's Count Rugen. Count Rugen. Rugen. Yeah, Rugen. That's his name. We went in very different jokes right there. <laughs> After we see Inigo and uh, Count Rugen in the in the chamber, wherever the fuck they are, whatever you call it. That place. I feel like every room in a castle should be called the chamber, so. I, th- um, I think that's like a dining hall, actually. <laughs> this is my chamber, and over here we walk into this room. This is also my chamber, and over here we have a... This is also my chamber. I should name these different things. Or just like a really bad servant. She's like, and this is... Fuck, I can't remember. This is the chamber. <laughs> this is the next room. This is also the chamber. With, with the toilet. <laughs> with the toilet. This is the toilet chamber. This is the food chamber. <laughs> this is the eating chamber. This is the chamber chamber. <laughs> this is the long chamber that leads to other chambers. <laughs> um, so we see uh, Princess Buttercup in her room, and she has the dagger, and she's, like, gonna kill herself, and then you hear a voice, and it pans over to the bed, and Wesley is there, and he's, like, (laughs) which is a weird, this is a weird line, he says, there's a shortage of perfect breasts in this world, it would be a pity to damage yours. (laughs) And she's, like, Wesley! (laughs) And then she, like, goes over to him and jumps on him and starts kissing him. It's like, gently. And he's like, ah, gentle. Oh, oh, Hugh. He's like, no, gentle, gentle. <laughs> she drops him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's one thing that I pointed out is like, when he says, like, after he says, gentle for the second time, like, she drops his head and it just slams against the headboard of the bed. It reminds me of Men in yeah. like, this scene reminds me of Men in Tights so much. Yeah, I mean, same actor. it does, yeah. actually. Uh, so then I think it goes back to the fight scene between, uh, Inigo and, uh, Count six. Rugen? Count Ru- Rugen. My favorite breakfast cereal. Cuts the shit out of the top of your mouth, though. <laughs> Alright, so, um, Count Rugen's like, well, here's your life, bye, and he tries to stab him, but Inigo's like, nah. Yeah. He blocks it, kind of. Yeah, he kind of it blocks his it, arm, but gets, still. Yeah. gets cut in the arm, 
And then he goes to cut him again, and he blocks it away, and it cuts his other arm. Mm-hmm. And then he gets up, and Count Rugen's like, I thought he was not able to get up. <laughs> and then fucking Indigo just chucks this knife out. He's like, I don't care. And then he's holding the wound closed, which, really smart to do. <laughs> he actually- Hold the wound? Yeah. Yeah. yeah like... But you definitely shouldn't take the knife out. No, but like, if you're gonna, <laughs> you should definitely hold the wound closed. Yeah. I yeah. mean, to be fair, it'd be kind of hard to walk with a knife in your bladder. I've never tried. That's fair. You want to? No. Is that a threat? <laughs> you want it to be? <laughs> you are glaring at him very angrily right now, E. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so Inigo is doing the fight. And he's like, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You have killed my father. Prepare to die. And he keeps saying ding, that, ding, ding. Yeah, And he keeps saying it louder and louder, more and more confident each time. It's actually such it's, a cool scene. It is. It's kind of like the revenge in his body is like overcoming his wounds and giving him strength to fight this man. Yeah. As it goes on, he becomes more and more confident. And as a result, Ru- Rugen? Count Rugen. All right, <laughs> so Count Rugen is getting more and more, like, scared because he realizes, oh, shit. <laughs> As uh, Inigo kind of gets more and more of his footing down, he gets the upper hand on uh, Count Rugen until Count Rugen is cornered at a table. And he's like, eh. And he goes, like, will you give me money? Yeah, it's because uh, he, he's saying, my name isn't Inigo Montoya who killed my father. Prepare to die. Stop saying that. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And then, like, at this point, he actually, if you notice, he gave him the same scars that was given to Nigo. Yeah, so fun fact about this, actually. All of the places that he hits him are the exact same scars that he had been given throughout his life. Right. And then, uh, that's when he tells him, offer me money. Yes, power. Two, promise me that. Uh, All that I have and more, please. Offer me anything I ask for, Count Uh, Arm. Offer me anything I ask for. Anything you want. I want my father back, you son of a bitch. And then that's whenever he stabs him through the stomach and kills him. Which, like, genuinely is, like, when it's in the movie, like, it's a line that gives him goosebumps. It's so good. It's a really good line. Apparently he said this in an interview sometime later. I don't know how true it is, but just something I've seen circle the internet. Is the actual actor who plays Inigo Montoya says, uh, The reason I made the movie was to come to fruition, uh, come to fruition which was I was going to uh, get the cancer that killed my father. I lost my father back in 1972. It just hit a chord with me that I uh, want my father back, just like he does. And in my mind, I feel that when I killed the six-fingered man, I killed the cancer that killed my father. And I remembered that we were outside the castle, and I took a walk, our walk in this beautiful moat. And I just kept talking to my dad, saying, I'm going to write it. I'm going to write this wrong. And for that moment, he was alive. And my fairy tale came true. So that might be why that was such a powerful moment, is because... That's something that not only spoke to the character, but spoke to the man who was playing that character so much. That, like, it's something that meant a lot to him to play that part and have that scene. That's powerful. Yeah. Wow. I was going to say, that's why that I want my father back, you son of a bitch. That's why it hits so hard, is because, like, that was, it wasn't coming from an ego. It was coming from, I'm going to butcher his name again, Mandy Patkin, or Patinkins? Mandy Patinkin. Patinkin, thank you. You really can't read. No, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Mandy Paddington's. <laughs> Addie Paddington, I mean, too. Read the name. Patinkin. He can't read either. <laughs> Andy Patinkin, yeah. There's no G in it. So anyways. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that's why that scene was as powerful as it was, is because, like, you know, it just it's one of those things that resonated. 
very much for the even the actor that was playing that part. So yeah, it's very awesome. well. It's a very powerful scene. I think it's definitely like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so then it cuts back to Wesley and Princess Buttercup in her room. And I'm just going to throw this fun fact in there. Um, one of the main people that were in the running or who really wanted to play the role of Buttercup was Uma Thurman. Huh. Like, she, she really wanted this role. Kill Bill Lady. Oh. Huh. Yeah, that would have been weird, right? I, I mean, this was this I could kinda see before it. Kill Bill? This was way before yeah. Kill yeah, Bill. Yeah, yeah. Would... so I... Uh, I don't think I could see it. I don't think I could see it because, like, I don't know the name of the girl that plays Buttercup, but I think she's, like, more classically yeah, yeah. pretty and princess-like yeah, than, they, like, Yeah, they, like, really Thurman. fought to get the girl that they did for, mm-hmm. to get for the role, actually. Like, they really just wanted this, the girl that looked exactly like this to do it. They fought so much for it, and she actually wanted it so much. She was doing a soap opera at the time, and this was her first feature film. And in order for them, because they were filming the soap opera at the time, and they filmed that like every single day, but in order for the soap opera to let her go to film the uh, movie, she had to sign a deal to be on the soap opera for one more year. That's how she was able to go off and do this. She had to be Sounds on the like soap hell. opera for longer. I mean, I guess that's is somewhat common. Like, uh, I guess another good example was like that movie, the movie Forty Three. I guess a lot of those actors really wanted to play in other movies, but in order to play in those movies, contract-wise, they had to play in a movie done by, uh, I think it was the Fairley Brothers who did the yeah. uh, movie 43, and so they, they got typecasted into that movie so they can play in a role that they really wanted to play in. Yeah, it was, that movie is... I will never watch that movie for this podcast. That's but fair. there is so much fucked up shit around that movie. Oh, we'll have yeah. to talk about that at some point somewhere. Um, anyway, so in the chambers, um, Wesley starts explaining to Buttercup that, like, your wedding wasn't valid. Like, what do you mean it wasn't valid? Well, did you ever say I do? She's like, no, I never did say I do, actually. Like, well, then you didn't. And so you can't. So it's not a valid wedding. And then uh, Humperdinck comes in. He's like, semantics. It's all, it'll all be fixed anyway. It's basically the real thing. Like, and all that will be taken care of. First things first. To the death. No, to the pain. I don't think I'm quite familiar with that phrase. Well, I'll explain. And I'll use small words so that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. That may be the first time in my life a man has dared insult me. And it won't be the last. To the pain means the first thing you will lose will be your feet below the ankles. Then your hands at the wrists, next your nose. And then my tongue, I suppose. I killed you too quickly the last time. A mistake I don't mean to duplicate tonight. I wasn't finished! The next thing you will lose will be your left eye, followed by your right. And then my ears. I understand. Let's get on with it. Wrong! Your ears you keep, and I'll tell you why. So that every shriek of every child that's seeing your hideousness will be yours to cherish. Every babe that weeps at your approach, every woman who cries out, Dear God, what is that thing? will echo in your perfect ears. That is what to the pain means. It means I leave you in anguish wallowing in freakish misery forever. I think you're bluffing. It's possible, pig. I might be bluffing. It's conceivable, you miserable, vomitous mass, that I'm only lying here because I lack the strength to stand. But, then again, perhaps I have the strength after all. And then he slowly gets up and points his sword directly at Humperdinck. says, drop your sword. Ka-ching, ka-ching. And you hear the sword drop. And they start to tie him to a chair. 
And then, <laughs> and then Falcon and Falcon, not Falcon. <laughs> Who the fuck is Falcon? <laughs> Captain Falcon comes in. He's like, "Show me your moves, Falcon Punch." Yeah. So, um, I think I think that's probably like one of the some of the better lines too. It is like it is weird that this movie is kind of so silly, but it has like it some really powerful it's lines really in weird. it. It's very earnest. <laughs> it's kind of great at the same time, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Inigo and Fezzik. No, no, not him. Doesn't he come in? Uh-uh. No. Just Inigo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. It is just Inigo. Comes in, and I think Wesley says something like, oh, it's a good thing that you're here, and, like, kind of just, like, kind of falls over on the bed a little bit. Yeah. And then that's whenever Humperdinck goes, you are bluffing. It's like, well, I knew it. Yeah, I knew it. <laughs> like, well, it doesn't matter now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, and Inigo's like, you want me to finish him off? And uh, Wesley's like, nah not worth it yeah and then from outside you hear hey and they look outside and it's physic and he yeah. has like a bunch of horses there yeah <laughs> i found some horses yeah like i think that's almost exactly what he, he says, says it's like, hey i found horses <laughs> i thought you might find the princess too so i managed to gather four like oh sweet also, dude <laughs> fucking awesome also like if you forget how like insanely tall this man is it just looks like he grabbed ponies yeah, yeah. it looks like he has like a bunch of little dogs that are dressed as horses <laughs> and then you're like <laughs> and then later you realize Oh, yeah, those are actual horses. Yeah, like, oh, this guy could fucking be term, I'm so hungry I can eat a horse. He might ever be hungry enough to eat a horse. How many beers would it take to get him drunk, I wonder? So fucking many, like, right? Like, he can yeah. probably down a keg by himself, right? Yeah, like, totally. Well, you're so. the alcohol expert. You should know. Yeah, you're the alcoholic. <laughs> okay, found it. I'm an alcoholic, not... <laughs> I can't remember exactly what it was, but yeah. You won't find it in the Guinness Book of World Records, but Andre the Giant holds the world record for the largest number of beers consumed in a single sitting. There was a, uh, They were standard 12-ounce bottles of beer. Nothing fancy, but during a six-hour period, Andre the Giant drank 119 of them. Fuck me. Yeah. Jeez. Jesus. Like, that guy could fucking drink. That would kill a normal human. Yeah, yeah, yeah it would. <laughs> That's probably why it's not in the Guinness World Records. That should not be something people attempt to do. <laughs> so, speaking about Andre the Giant's size, I have a double fun fact here. Okay. He actually ended up needing an ATV to get to shooting locations because he's so big. And honestly, Andre the Giant was not the healthiest man. You're no. not supposed to be that big. You're not supposed to be that big, and you're not supposed to drink that much beer. Right. And so he actually needed an ATV to get to, like, all the shooting locations out there, like, in the, in the woods and the rocks and stuff like that. Um, one of the times when he was on the ATV going to a shooting location, he wanted to carry Elways to drive it. And so Elways finally did one of the times, um, except it was the first time he's ever driven an ATV. Oh. Fuck. So he was driving it, and he went to go shift gears, and his foot got stuck between pedal and a rock because he, when he downshift, his foot slipped. And he actually ended up uh, with a broken big toe on his left foot. And for a long time in production, he, like, tried to hide it from the director because, like, he didn't want to lose the role because, like, that right. can happen if you get really injured or you can, like, stop production and then it just gets canceled. So he tried to hide it. Eventually, the pain was so bad he had to tell them. They ended up being able to work around it for the most part, but you can notice it. So in the scene before he's pushed down the hill, you can see him limping a little bit earlier in the movie. Yeah. And then when he sits down, he s- extends his left foot out so that he can rest it. Like, he sits in a really awkward way. Um, and, like, that's why. And then when they get out of the, uh, the woods, the firewoods? Yeah, the fire swamp. Fire the swamp. fire swamp. Um, he's limping, and, like, you're like, oh, because he got fucked up. Of course he's limping. He was limping because of his broken toe. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
it's kind of convenient for him that he got to play a character that was literally just a pile of mush at the end, basically. Right. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, that's... So, they're all getting out to the horses, and the princess jumps first, and you get this very majestic fall from her, and then Fezzik catches her, and they smile, and they laugh, and she gets on her own horse, and Wesley and Inigo are at the window, and they're about to jump, and Wesley mentions, like, or no, Inigo's like, you know, I have been going after revenge my entire life. I have no idea what I'm going to do with the rest of it. Like, um, and Wesley's like, well, um, have, you would make a pretty good pirate Robert. Well, he was saying, like, how do you feel about piracy? Oh, yeah. He's like, you make a good pirate Robert. And then Nico's like, hmm. And then he jumps <laughs> off. Yeah. And they, well, they both jump off. And then they ride away off on the horses out of the castle. And the grandpa finished off the story. He's saying um, they all escaped. And then you get a shot of Wesley and Buttercup with kind of that same kind of shot from the beginning of the film when they were having that very romantic kiss with the sun behind them. He's like, there are five kisses that have ever been great enough to be recorded by all of mankind. And arguably, this is the number one kiss, basically. Ranked the highest ever. Well, before that, though, the grandpa does, uh, like, he uh, says that they ride off into the sunset, and then he just closes the book. He's like, you don't want to re- uh, hear about the rest. Right, yeah. And then that's when the grandkid's like, no, 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 you can, you, you can go ahead and read the rest. I don't mind. And then that's whenever he does the, this is the kiss that trumped them all. Yeah. And yeah. then this is where I very much disagree with the grandkid. Uh, I think he should have just stopped. I don't. I don't think they should have kissed. <laughs> well, I'm wondering is how strong that freaking horse that was carrying Andre the Giant was. <laughs> I honestly dude. thought it was gonna be him, like carrying the horse. <laughs> just him running, really yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> him just running and keeping up pace with the horses while carrying it on his shoulder. That would have been great. <laughs> so they kiss, and then uh, the grandpa closes the book, and he's like. Well, there's the book, young kiddo. He's like, yeah. He's like, oh wow, that was that was great. Like, well, I better be heading out. And the kid's like, uh, grandpa, could you come back tomorrow? He's like, yeah, sure, I'll come back tomorrow. He's like, uh, when you come back tomorrow, could you read the book again? He's like, yeah, I'll read the book again. And like all the while, the grandpa's just like searching his pockets endlessly, like he just forgot something. He's like, well, I'm out. See you, bitch. <laughs> he just like leaves. Yeah. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. And whoa, he whoa. says, I thought it was just gonna be steamrolled over. And it was, like, the most important fucking line in the movie. So Fred Savage is like, hey, Grandpa, fucking read that goddamn book tomorrow, please. (laughs) And Grandpa's like, listen here, you little shit, as you wish. Yeah, he does. Oh, yeah. Oh, is that what you wanted to bring up? I didn't think it was that important. It's a callback for sure, but. That's, like, the most important. It's basically just saying, you know, love you. Whatever. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it was cute. I just. That's cute. I just didn't. I don't know. I didn't think of that. That's cute. Maybe it's just me being me. (laughs) Old old (laughs) funny duddy E. (laughs) E who just doesn't believe love is a feeling. Nope, it's illegal. (laughs) (laughs) So after that, Grandpa leaves and uh, credits roll. (laughs) End of movie. Actually, something cool about the credits I saw is like the credits kind of like recap the movie. Yeah. And yeah. I thought it was kind of cool because it's like the yeah. grandpa read the story again to the kid. Oh, hey, yeah. Oh, that's neat too. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that movie. So Sam, let's head over to you first. What are your final thoughts on this movie and what would you give it from a 0 to a 10? We have zeros now? Sure. Alright. So, as stated before, I've already seen this movie multiple times. It's a very nostalgic movie for a lot of people. It's charming. It's a classic, wholesome, greatest love story 
to ever be told. <laughs> the best kiss ever. With the best kiss ever in the world. And <laughs> uh, yeah, those are my thoughts. What what would you rate it? What would I rate it? Um, I feel like I would rate it like an eight. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You seem unsure about that, but okay, we're going with it. You can never change your answer. It's, it's that answer forever. It's in stone. <laughs> and no, I was just laughing because I'm like, yeah, it's the greatest love story ever told with the greatest kiss ever to be ever kissed. And I'm like, yeah, I'll give it an eight, whatever. Well, it's yeah. a four, maybe. I don't know. Oh, you got you to gotta subtract, subtract the points for being the greatest love story ever told. <laughs> This has to be the best love story yeah. I've ever read in my entire life. Nine out of ten. No one's perfect. <laughs> yeah, I do think it's like one of those comfort movies, though. Like, it's not like emotionally taxing at all. You know, it's going to be a happy ending. You know, it's just going to be like fun and, you know. Yeah. 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 It's just it's chicken noodle soup all the way through. Just nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's head on over to E. Hello, what are your thoughts? So, I do. I quite enjoy this movie. It's it's quite a fun romp. Uh, As I alluded to earlier, I actually get a lot of Monty Python vibes from this movie, which is a high regard thing for me. (laughs) In case someone doesn't like Monty Python, I guess I don't really know where I was going. Human is though. Yeah, but like I think the humor really works. Uh, I think it's it's really clever when it wants to be, which is great. Yes. Uh, like I said before, it it knows it's kind of corny, and it rolls with it. Because I think one of the worst things you can do if you realize you're corny is try to like act like you're in on the joke without actually being in on the joke. Yeah. I think that's one of the worst things. you. I think that's a trap a lot of new Hollywood movies fall into where they're like, oh, you want me to be the damsel in distress? And then she's still just the damsel in distress. <laughs> yeah, you're right, actually. So yeah, uh, rating wise, I'm gonna look like a poser, but I, I'm saying an eight. Ooh, <laughs> gonna look like I just copied Sam. Gosh, yeah, I think you did just copy Sam. I think you guys are in on this. <laughs> All right, that's cool. Um, Robbie, like they were saying, this is a very fun movie to watch. It's you know it gives you a lot of laughs. It's a very much a feel good movie. It is a movie that is very witty on top of that too which is actually something of like you know you didn't see a whole lot of witty comedies you saw ones that were just like they were funny or they were dumb comedy but like this one is witty and charming like they say a lot of very smart things in the movie we were saying earlier the movie it knows what it is and it somewhat doubled downs on it in a lot of places too which is where a lot of the quick wit comes of it Mm -hmm. and you hear a lot of very witty lines and it's a what we said earlier a very memeable movie because a lot of memes are made off of this movie between like the my name is Inigo Montoya, and my father prepared to die, and like they made a whole bunch of that, and then also the using that word. Uh, I don't think it means what you think it means. The in- inconceivable. Uh, that one was also a thing. Like you know, it's very much people adore this movie, but it's very very good reason at the same time. It's very enjoyable. It, it is a very like if you're feeling down and you need something to cheer you up, this is the kind of movie that you would want to watch is something like this, because it does, it is something that will lift your spirits. Like you said, chicken noodle soup for the soul mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and not seem like a poser. I'll give it an 8.5 out of 10. 
<laughs> I love how like highly we're praising this movie, but then we're like, yeah, it's an eight. That's a good rating. It's a good rating. Yeah. That is three steps above average. <laughs> I feel it's like than- ten is like a good read, or nine is like a good rating. Ten is like the best rating. Yeah, well, we actually did not have every a conversation. Movie could be Ed and Eddie's Big Picture Show. Yeah. We did have a conversation on, like, movies we would actually rate a 10 out of 10. Like, we feel like a 10 out of 10 would be, like, this is, like, a life-changing movie. Or just really good, in my case. Have you had, like, a lot of 10s? I don't remember you guys having, like, a lot of 10s. I don't think we've actually watched it. I think I gave two 10s. You've given one so far. I thought I I gave Forrest Gump a 10. I thought you gave it a 9. I think you gave it a 9. I wish I wrote the ratings down in here. That would help. Um, Yeah, I know I gave... Uh, the silent voice. Yeah, you did give that one a ten. I know that one. I heard that. I don't think me and Dry yeah, have given no, a ten yeah. on any movie yet. But uh, back on track. Okay, let's head on over to Rocky. Six point five. Like just above average. That seems fair. Just didn't do it for me. I don't got a lot to say. I'm giving it a six point five, not because I hate it. Yeah, that's I hated a positive it, rating. I have more to say. I just. I... Yeah, and I can't give it more because I liked it. It's just a movie that there's no spark. Once you get into like five, six, and sevens, there's nothing to say. That's why it's a five, six, or seven. <laughs> I don't have much to say about it. It's a six point five. Yeah, just, he says it's it's a fairly good movie. Okay, all right, that's fair. All right, and as for me, uh, like I have been saying this entire episode, chicken soup kind of movie. How we've talked about how there, or how Robbie has talked about how there are cheese whiz movies for the brain. I would say this is a chicken soup for the soul type of movie. I think you, it, that's fair. You put it on, you just you feel good can't feel guilty about it it's wholesome and then it has darker moments as well like it's a it's honestly almost a perfect family film there's stuff that kids are going to really love there's stuff that adults are going to really love and as you grow up and everything as well yeah as you go from kid to adult to parent to grandparent i think there's levels in each one of those that you can really relate back to and find some footing and find somewhere to relate back to it it's one of those movies that you can take with you for the rest of your life like you see it you can always go back and rewatch it and find something new or find something that you relate to, and you can just kind of always have that with you. It's an insanely enjoyable movie. It's insanely clever. I, I honestly love it. I'm, I, it's a nine. It's a nine for me. I really do love this movie. It's super okay. good. So if you guys want to get a hold of us on any kind of social media, we're last ones in Facebook and Twitter. Um, we have started doing live shows every Saturday night. They're honestly pretty late. They're between 10 o'clock and 1 o'clock. At night on Saturdays, so uh, Mountain Standard Time. Mountain Standard Time. So if you want to watch those, just keep an eye out for the link during those times. Uh, we'll be live. We're gonna planning on going between an hour and an hour and a half, maybe more, just depending on how the conversation flows. Just keep an eye out for that. Uh, the last one that we did was super fun. Uh, that one will be going up today as we're recording this one. That episode's oh. going live. So we're putting it out one week after we record them, so you can still listen to them if you don't listen to them live. Uh, that content will be out there for you. It's not as cleanly produced as this because it's live, but uh, yeah, it, it, it'll be out there to listen to. If you want to get a hold of us at all, tell us your thoughts on a movie or give us suggestions on movies or tell us anything really. You can do that at the last ones in podcast at gmail.com. Again, that email is the last ones in podcast at gmail.com. And I just want to say, Thank you for everybody who has been listening and building our uh, listenership. Um, we've seen our audience growing. It's it's kind of insane. It's super cool. I just want to say thank you guys. I really appreciate it. But uh, I think that's going to do it for us on this episode. So keep an eye out for that live show. And we'll talk to you guys later. Have a great night. Have a great week. Be safe out there. 
See ya. Bye. Kissing goodbye. Bye. Straight up threw up on the people in front of her. And they didn't notice. That's disgusting. They didn't notice. And I didn't tell them. I didn't. <laughs> I don't want to be the guy they that tells did, them. They did notice at some point. Yeah. In the best way possible. What the fuck? What the fuck is the... What the, what the fuck is the... What is the... on these alcoholic beverages. Oh, good. Oh, very okay. cool. So first, we're trying the very manly Seagram's Escapes Calypso Colada, which is pineapple and coconut flavor. I don't have a chaser anymore, so hopefully... You can tell it's very manly from the neon blue. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a lot. Nothing screams manly like Calisco blue and fizziness. Like the whole thing, or... I don't know, try it. It's pretty good. Not bad. That's because it's all sugar. You can't actually taste yeah. the alcohol. It has, it no, has I can. In it. It's like a scent, not a scent, but like a taste that sticks to the tongue. That's probably the alcohol. But it's also a malt beverage, so it's made basically like a soda and then added Ooh, no. alcohol. If I drink too much, I can taste the alcohol again. <laughs> that is the curse of every it, alcoholic beverage, is yeah. the taste of alcohol. It being yeah. in a bottle probably <laughs> helps, know, actually. <laughs> So now we're going to try the uh, strawberry daiquiri Seagram's Escapes. I've tried is... that one. That's like ten times the manly. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we got to get hair on E's chest somehow. Well, we'll I already have that. One. Is it taste like <laughs> strawberry Fanta? Oh man, I don't, I don't, don't like Fanta wanna, all that wanna, much. Fanta, but... Don't you wanna? Yeah, it's definitely okay. more manly than the blue one. <laughs> I like the blue one better. Just three men doing men things. With <laughs> we are the manliest of men. I'm drinking coffee and I feel like such a bitch. Watching you three manly men. You know what make you feel more manly about drinking that coffee? Some creamer. Maybe a little bit of sugar. Some milk. A little bit of honey, maybe. Put a rainbow cookie on the side. Yeah, rainbow cookie. I might risk the corona just to get me one of those daiquiris. Like, get some hair on my chest. (laughs) (laughs) Alright. Well. Definitely prefer the blue one to the red one. Uh, the the taste of alcohol is not great. No, the taste it of is, alcohol is bad. It is bad. It is literally something nah, you have to, like... You can't even taste the alcohol in those things. What are you even I talking can. about? I can. Whenever you're somebody who is just barely starting out drinking, like, you're very sensitive to the taste of alcohol. You have to keep drinking it in order to kind of, like, kill your taste buds to the taste of alcohol. That is 100%. Sam. Yeah, just, that... just keep drinking it. No, that <laughs> is definitely, that you was you don't drink better it than the uh, yeah, You don't the drink it for the taste, coffee. you drink it to kill the void in your soul. Yeah, I just eat pizza for that. A time when numbing yourself wasn't as refined as drugs and video games <laughs> and stuff. This is, so we just, we just still drink alcohol because it's just, we do. We, we never stopped. Yeah. 
It's like, you know, you, you put like a stone and like a, what was that thing? Like you put a stone out in the cold that's wet and then you have ice grow around the stone. Just gives something for ice to grow around kind of thing like oh it's right the, and then the like the fairies come and important. they chip away at it and then inside of it is like a tooth and then they go and put that tooth in babies and then the babies like once it's in there all the other teeth grow because they planted the uh tooth seed and then all the other teeth grow and then those fall out for the tooth fairies to collect and then they use that as currency like that hmm. that wasn't i have no idea what just happened <laughs> <laughs> i think the beers are kicking into Jiraiya. The first time you know Rocky was on. No jokes twice. Yeah. No jokes twice. Rocky never makes the same joke again. Never. Never happens. He would never have a running joke <laughs> that severely annoys me, ever. He doesn't no. do that. That's not the kind of guy Rocky is. Exactly. You, you still have that, that uh, knife collection, Jiraiya? How's your knife? <laughs> 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 